my back is tired. Like it. Bam, we're live. I um, not yesterday, but the day before. I had Brian Friend on midday, and to like just kind of like raise my awareness when when I had him on, I did three hundred air squats before the show started, and not like crazy fast, but like but just fast, right? Fifteen minutes maybe. Like my wife does it in ten minutes. But anyway, so so then in the evening I did the I did uh, ten burpees on the minute. And then the next minute I did 10 deadlift with 135 pounds and I did that for 20 minutes. So it ends up being hundred burpees, hundred deadlifts. I did that like at eight or nine at night. And then yesterday, just the whole day, do you, do you ever, it's not like so bad where it feels like my back's going to snap, but it's just, my back's just tired. Like I don't want to sit up. Do you know that feeling? I can't tell if my, if the yeah. muscle's tired or if it's just crazy engaged. And like, I can't tell if it's just completely relaxed and I feel like just a sack of shit or if it's just so tight. I just want to, I'm trying to lay down and relax. It's weird. I feel like taking drugs. Sometimes I'll feel like that after like Murph or something. I haven't done, if I haven't done a ton of volume lately, my body will just be like super tight for no reason. After doing a Murph? Yeah. Or just something that has super high volume. If I wear a weight vest for too long, I'll have some weird reaction to it. Like, like, like when I take it off, I'll be like, kind of like, like, you know, you wear the weight vest and you feel the weight of it and then you have it on for a certain amount of time and you catch yourself starting to do this shit. Oh, like shrugging up, shrugging and just tightening and bracing. And it's just like, and then when I, and then finally, when I take it off, I'm uh Oh, it was Philip Kelly. Oh yeah, I need to send Sousa a. Uh, uh, it was Philip. This is the dude, Philip Kelly, um, who sent me the that article I was just telling you about. That article is crazy. I, I, you know, I didn't hear back from this guy. I wonder if this guy is coming on. That'd be cool. If he didn't. No, if he did. Oh yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. That would, I agree. That would be cool. It, it's um, it is seven a.m. Right. I need to text uh, Sousa right now and tell him to schedule Philip Kelly. We need to hear what's going on. Uh, Sousa. Uh, can we schedule Philip Kelly? Yeah, uh, Philip, you know, I'm going on the 24th. I'm going to uh, some crazy skateboarding camp thing with my kids up in Tahoe for like four days. And I wasn't going to do any shows, but we should do a show somewhere between the 24th and the 28th. Cause it'll be, it's doing a show with you will be easy. It'll be fun. Like, like last night's show was so easy. Holy shit. Super chill. Oh my God. Travis is so easy to talk to. You know, it's crazy when I talk to him. Some, I feel like I'm talking to like the gangster version of Jordan Peterson. He's so freaking smart. He is so smart. He understands just how human beings work. It's kind of crazy. Cause I, I don't, he doesn't really have that. Um, he doesn't really give off that vibe initially. No, no. Uh-uh. But man, he's like a, um, a master of human shit, human behavior. Uh, sure, Sevon, I'll hop on with you for a while while your kids are at Woodward. <laughs> Good dude, Damien, just taking one for the team. Uh, he's in Australia. Is he? I, I couldn't tell if he's in Australia. 
I heard it. I played a video of his chick, and uh, his chick uh, spoke Australian. And I got the impression that, like, maybe he did some sort of residency there. Here's the thing that, that I was tripping on. There's no way this dude took the injection. There's no fucking way. Hey, if you're a doctor, can you administer your own injection? What's that? What? Because then you could just fire it off onto the floor, right? Yeah. I think, I mean, at least for myself, I'm not a doctor, obviously. I've tried to like, be like, oh, I'll just do it myself. And they're like, no, you have to have somebody do it for you. Because I administer stuff too, but. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think that I think you have to have somebody else administer it for you. So it's legal for Hiller to shoot himself up with roids, but a doctor can't give himself the uh, vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, that seems a little backwards. I'm not At really home sure. in his garage with a dirty needle. It'd be similar to like somebody administering insulin to themselves, I think. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'd be like somebody with diabetes administering insulin. Uh, Dylan, uh, uh, Sevon, you see Hiller's video on Annie this morning. I it, when I was uh, it popped up as I perused over some YouTube station or something. It popped up. I was like, "Oh, Nelly, oh, Nelly." There was all sorts of talk about Annie not getting full range of motion at uh, Wadapalooza or, or something that, and and like the people didn't like the way she was doing her burpees and. And, and I talked to some people about it. I'm like, you really think that something was wrong with her burpees bar, uh, you know, synchro synchro burpees. And they're like, well, dude, if it looks different than everyone else's, something's wrong with it. I'm like, I can't, I can't get behind that. I can't, I can't, um, I, everyone talks about the spirit of things. And this, like, do you remember like when they were bar jumping over the bar burpees and someone had changed those weights to those little weights? Yeah. Or, or at the 2008 or nine games, Matt Mursky was bouncing the, uh, clean. 155. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm fine either way. I'm fine busting those people for it, but I'm also not. I just see it as innovation. How about the guy, the Fos, I just used the Fosbury flop as the example. Everyone was jumping over the high jump like a jackass. And this guy just one year showed up at the Olympics. He wasn't even a high jumper. He was an engineer and he starts doing the, you know, flopping over, turning his back to the bar. Uh, it was skipping over the dumbbell during the burpees, and Chase mentioned it during the broadcast. I, I mean, both her feet were in the air at the same time, right? So so do both your feet have to be in the air at the same time, or do both your feet have to come off the ground? Now, let me tell you something. I, I do a lot of jumping in the garage with my kids, and I if, if they don't jump off the ground with both feet, I tell them. I said, hey, you know you both feet didn't come off the ground at the same time. And, and, you know, it's, it's easier to if, like, if we're, if you're jumping to a small target, like from one, like a box onto a balance beam and you take a step jump instead of a, a bound jump, it's definitely easier to take the step jump. It's less impressive looking. Um, yeah, it's easier to navigate the obstacle that you're jumping across. What, what, I wonder what spikes your heart rate more. I'm guessing bounding, right? Two feet jump, two foot jump. Yeah, probably the two foot jump. Because the one foot jump, if if you're jumping with one foot, it's just like it's just like gravity. You can just lean, and your body kind of, you know what I mean. It's like falling. Jumping with one foot instead of two feet is just like, I mean, I'm no kinesiologist, but it's just leaning. Hi, Anthony. Hey, how's it going? Awesome, good to see you, brother. You too. Yeah, sorry, I'm running a second late, but no, uh, no worries. Yeah. I'm trying to grab something here. I um. 
are, yeah. Anthony, are, are, is your last name Chaffee or Chafee? Chafee. Chafee. Anthony Chafee. Yeah. Are you related to the um, uh, arm wrestler, uh, Chafee? I think his name is Daniel Chafee. No, I don't, I don't know if I've come across him. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but I mean, potentially. It's not, a, it's not a common name. So probably somewhere back there. He, he's one of the best in North America. Maybe top, I don't know, five heavyweights. I, I think his oh, name nice. No, no, not Daniel Chafee. Is it Daniel Chafee? Are you looking him up, uh, Chafee? And I know the, the guest I had on last night, I know, has arm wrestled him. Travis has definitely arm wrestled him. Dave Chafee. Oh, Dave Chafee. Do you know Dave Chafee? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Hey, are you, are you American? Yes, I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, I, just, I, uh, I moved to Australia just a few years ago, just just for fun, really. And you're kind of picking up a little bit of an accent, maybe? I hope not. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, if you're going to get one, that's the one to get. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely didn't want to pick up uh, the Irish accent. That one's a bit too harsh for me. Did you study over there? I did. Yeah, I lived over there for six years. Yeah, so I went. To, I did um, uh, graduate medicine over there, and then um, worked over there as a doctor for a few years. And then, and are, are you? And then, did you go back to school? Are you studying to be a neurosurgeon? So yeah, so in residency. So it's um, uh, yeah, sort of sort of professional training, I guess you could call it. So yeah, anytime you're going into like. You finish medical school, then you, if you want to specialize, then you need to do a residency program. And, and what is a neurosurgeon? Uh, so just, just operating on brains and spines, really. So you're just doing uh, everything. Yeah. So everything on the neurological system. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of interesting um, that you're, you're kind of doing, um, you're going both ways simultaneously. And uh, neurosurgery, surgery performed on the nervous system. All right, especially the brain and spinal cord. Wow, you know what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's kind of interesting, right? Because in one way, you're you're going into some of the most detailed ways of fixing a human being. Most, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe myopic is the word, or focused, mm. or or invasive. And then in another way, the other half of your practice is going the least invasive, most. Uh, like, um, I guess here's another way. Let me reframe that one way. The responsibility is crazy on the doctor. And the other way is like, Hey, here's the tools fix yourself. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's definitely true. And, and you're right. Neurosurgery is, is hyper-specialized and you're, you're only working on a very, very small frame of, of patients. And then people generally subspecialize within that as well. So there might be someone who's just you know, really focused on like vascular neurosurgery. So they're dealing with clipping aneurysms and removing um, ABM. So like different sorts of vascular abnormalities that uh, can bleed and cause all, all sorts of problems or, or doing bypasses. You know, you have bypass surgery for the heart where you can do that for the brain as well. Um, and while it's not moving like the heart is and beating and things like that, the vessels are much, much smaller. So you have to do this under a microscope and, um, you know, you're putting in sort of like, you know, 20, 25 sutures, uh, that are like literally like the needles are the size of a splinter and you have this little thread of cobweb coming off of the back of it. So it's, uh, it's a very, very intricate work. And so some people will be even more subspecialized within that subspecialty. And then in functional medicine, you know, healing people just through met through their diet, 
it's very broad strokes. I mean, this is just broadly, this is how the body works and this is how to make it work optimally. And, and you're in charge of that. So like maybe someone got a bad batch of uh, government mandated drugs and they had some clotting and, mm. uh, and, and, and someone like you could go in and maybe undo the clot. Yes, sometimes. Yeah. So if someone has a stroke, sorry, I just had like to that. stuff that in there. And yeah. it was a little forced. I felt like it was a little forced, but I had to. Sorry. Well, but, but you know, but it's true though. I mean, like, you know, you have, someone has a stroke or something like that, but like the, the radiology, uh, they, they take a lot of the endovascular treatments where they're snaking up little lines and, and, uh, pulling out clots and things like that. But, you know, I've seen a lot of patients who have come in, uh, you know, close in close proximity to, to certain medications and had massive, massive brain bleeds. And, oh my goodness. And, and unfortunately many of them didn't survive. Other ones had uh, platelet dysfunction that couldn't be corrected. And so they weren't even operable anyway, because they would have just bled out on the table and, and other, other people didn't get hit quite so bad. And thankfully they, they were able to, to weather uh, the storm and survive, but um, no, it's very, very scary. Uh, some of the things you see in uh, in medicine, certainly in neurosurgery. Anthony, where were you born? Uh, California. So I grew up in, I was sort of uh, in Santa Barbara area. And then I moved up to, to Kirkland, Washington, just outside of Seattle when I was about 10. Uh, okay. So, so always, I guess always on the West Coast. I went to uh, UCSB. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I did undergrad there for seven years. I lived in Isla Vista for 10 years. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, I yeah, love that area. Yeah, it always feels like home every time I go back to Santa Barbara. It was absolutely fantastic. And okay, and so you end up. Uh, and at what point do you get interested in? Um, and what were your parents like? Are your parents uh, were your parents hippies? No, no, they oh. were they were they were very academic. They um, they yeah. My dad was a physicist. He he was a physicist physicist at the Lawrence Livermore Radiation Laboratory in Berkeley. Yeah, and uh, worked with. Um, Louis Alvarez on his uh, Nobel Prize winning work on uh, subatomic particles and you know cracking the atoms and, and studying all that in the bubble chamber, and so he was he was you know on the ground doing that. So he was he was on that team, and um, then got into well, well, I mean they sort of developed computers. The you know the physicists sort of developed computer science in order to run their experiments, and so he got more and more into computer science, and and then started you know taking that off as a career, and um, and then my mom was a musician. She was a she was a singer. So she was an opera singer and um, a classical soprano, and um, they met while while they were at Berkeley. So my mom was doing her undergrad. My dad was doing his doctorate and working at the Lawrence Lab. And, um, they just, they just hit it off and, uh, it was, it was kind of sweet. They met on Valentine's day 58 years ago and they've been together ever since. And wow. so, yeah, it was very darling. And, um, but yeah, they're both, both very academic families. So my, my mom's father was a, was a Rhodes scholar at Oxford and did his PhD at Oxford, did his master's at Harvard and taught at both and then taught at Pomona and, um, George Washington. And, uh, he was, was the world's expert on Milton and wrote his dissertation at Oxford on Milton and, uh, and like a lot of work that he published, you know, a few years before he died that he spent 40 years working on, uh, on Milton. And so if people are interested in that, look at, look up the work by, uh, Dr. Edward Weissmiller. That's really exhaustive. There's no, there's no real better, uh, study than, than what he put together. Um, and then, yeah. And so, and, and my, 
you know, my, my grandmother and he met while they were at Harvard together. And like her father was, was she a student there? Was she a student there? She was. Yeah. So my grandmother went to, to Harvard and met while my grandfather was doing his master's. So he was doing his, he was doing his Rhodes scholarship at Oxford. And then he was in Germany when world war II broke out and he had to literally flee across Europe to get away from, from all the border closures and, and invasions and things like that. And so the Rhodes scholarship at Oxford sent everyone home. And so he went back and he ended up doing a, a master's at Harvard. And that's why he met my my grandmother, and then he ended up being a, a spy in the war and uh, doing counter espionage and, uh, and worked there. And he was um, just funny, you know, just one of those family stories. He was, he was the first ever American spy to turn and work an enemy agent against the, the enemy. And so he wrote a whole. Was that your grandmother? Did he turn your grandmother? Yeah, I don't know. Hey, <laughs> yeah, she might she might think so. Yeah, they uh, they ended up getting divorced after about twenty five years. But so um, wait, so he met he 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 converted a spy from a German spy into an American spy. Yeah, he was posing as a as a, as a as a Frenchman. He could speak French fluently, yeah. and so he was he was in occupied France and pretending to be just a normal French person. And his job was to work out who the German spies were and to try to turn them against the enemy. And so wow. he was able to do that. And so he was the first. God, talk about a scary job, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, very crazy. And, um, you know, he was, he was one of the first, maybe the first American uh, that was trained by MI5 and MI6. Um, and probably because of his connections at Oxford and things like that, they liked him. And so he got along really well with the, with the British uh, sides of things. And, um, and yeah, and so they were, they were um, doing a lot of work on on the counter espionage side of things. And he, there's um, they did a, a a sort of a story on it when it became when it became declassified uh, after 50 years, and it was called um, Operation Drago Man. That was the name of it. And there was a guy, I forget his name, but interviewed my grandfather and talked about that whole case and everything like that. And sort of put it together, but it was, it was actually still used like his write up for that was used, uh, in, in the CIA sort of training spycraft sort of training for quite some time, but I, I'm probably not used anymore. It's probably outdated, but it's, uh, it was used for quite a while. Just imagine that you're trying to get someone to, to flip, but you have no idea. I mean, it's just a liar's yeah. game, right? I mean, it's just like a, I would need a big bag of like MDMA, yeah. like as, as as one of my primary tools to give people. What a crazy! I mean, because you yeah. could think you're flipping someone, and then last minute they they snare you. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Trying. Yeah, because yeah, you really are putting yourself out there, and um, you know, because you ha you have to sort of let yourself be known that you're, you know, an enemy agent, and so they could they could easily easily bust you and kill you or have you tortured. Yeah. Do you know the story of uh, Otto Warburg over there? Uh, I know, During, I know who Otto Warburg is, but I don't know his full backstory. There's this book. I think you would dig it. It's um, we, we had the author on the guy's name is Sam Apple and the book's name is ravenous. And it goes into basically, you know, how Otto was a homosexual Jew living in Germany and Hitler was just killing everybody. Mm -hmm. And especially Jews and homosexuals, but he let this guy live because Hitler had a deep, deep fear of cancer, crazy oh. fear of cancer. Really? Yeah. And so, th and this was the guy, um, the father of photosynthesis. And this is the guy that, uh, um, 
discovered basically, I think, I think one of the Nobel prizes, he, he won two Nobel prizes. Hitler didn't let him grab the second one, but the first one he won, I think was, uh, uh, discovering that cancer is a metabolic disease. And then as yeah. we've seen, even though he won the Nobel prize where cancer research went in the, like lost yeah. its way and, and went, went in the wrong yeah. direction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, he, is, he, he wrote the seminal work. I mean, it was, it was a culmination of like 20 years of work, but in 1951, he wrote a paper called, um, I believe it was the origin of cancer and it just goes into it. And it just shows how this is a, a metabolic. That was actually disease. the name of the, so he was, he's putting his stake in it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like he yeah. put the Otto Warburg flag in cancer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, he just showed that, that this is, this is where cancers come from. They, they come from, uh, the, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, it comes from a dysfunction of the mitochondria. It's not a genetic disease. Um, there are genetic changes in some cancers. However, if you look at a tumor, not every cell has the same mutations or even any mutations, but they all behave in the same way. They all behave as cancer. And there are cancers that actually have no genetic changes at all, uh, which is quite interesting. Not everybody knows that. Not a lot of doctors know that. And I did a, I did, um, a uh, sort of a lecture at our neurosurgical grand rounds a couple months ago, back in October, talking about the metabolic theory of cancer and talking about Warburg's work and other, other works such as uh, Professor... Um, uh, Thomas Seafried at Boston College, and um, you know, just showing all of this and and talking about how not all cancers have uh, any genetic changes at all, and and quite a lot of people there were like, "Geez, I didn't even know that." But it's do they you know, say it, that Anthony, or do they say, "Dude, this guy's lost his way"? Yeah. So that was that was you. the thing. Um, at the at the end of the talk, one of the professors of neurosurgery, who was actually professor of neurosurgery at Yale formerly. He, um, you know, I was talking to him about what I was going to do before that. And he was like, you could tell he was a bit nervous. He was like, oh, um, oh, okay. Uh, all right. Well, all right. Well, okay. Well, this is a, you know, a, a sort of a journal club sort of thing. So just make sure that you have, you know, you know, studies and, and journals and things like that to discuss. And I was like, that's not, that's not a problem. I had like 30. And, um, and so after I got done with it, he, you know, he even said, he said, Hey, you know, I, I didn't know what to think about. Uh, this study of this topic, I thought it was like, wow, it's, this is a little out there. But, you know, now that I actually see it and you present, present it in this way and there's so much evidence behind it, like, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in this. And, you know, I think that you should do a study. So it was it was doing that presentation was really uh, an argument to try to convince my department to let me do a study with brain cancer and uh, you know, dietary changes. So so a ketogenic metabolic therapy um, which is which actually Cedar Sinai Medical Center uses already and has for 15 years or more, and other centers have for you know a decade or more as well um, to to treat our, our GBM patients and do a larger study because there are a ton of case series and there's tons of smaller studies, even randomized controlled trials with glioblastoma brain cancers, which is you know the most really it's the most aggressive form of cancer that we know of. Um, without treatment, um, the average life expectancy is three months. Ooh. So it's that's uh, very very aggressive, and so you know they they had very very positive results in these smaller human trials, and you know astounding results in all the animal models with mice and things like that. But you know it's still not all that known because there isn't a, 
you know, we have 900 patients and we all did this and it's randomized and controlled and all that sort of stuff. There are randomized control trials, but with like 20 people. So, you know, I just proposed to my department because we get anywhere from two to five glioblastoma patients a week. You know, we get big numbers because where I am in uh, Perth, Australia, we are the only neurosurgical center for the entire state of Western Australia, which is about a third of the landmass of, of Australia. So we get everything. And, um, and so we, we see a lot of these, unfortunately, is but there a superficial, uh, demographic when you see you're like, 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 um, oh, yep. It's a Filipino overweight, uh, 62 years old. Like, is there, or, you know, like, is there, is there like something like where you see someone and you're like, yep, they, that you fit the mold. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't, I haven't, no, uh, okay, sort of okay. like major, major pattern, but most people are overweight. And, and right, all right. will be eating carbs and sugar and things like right. that. But I mean, you can say that about most people. Yeah, you can but, say that about anything, right? Broken yeah. bones, bad eyes. I mean, like, mm. as soon as you get overweight, the, the falling down becomes a problem, right? I mean, yeah, e- yeah. everything exponentially gets like, I don't know if exponential is the right word, but everything gets worse when you're overweight. It does. Yeah. 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 I mean, think about this, you know, just metabolic syndrome. If you have metabolic syndrome, you're six times more likely to develop heart disease. If you have diabetes, you're 10 times more likely. So these, these things do compound and they do, uh, they do go in, in, in packs, you know, and if you have different metabolic diseases or metabolic syndrome, you're more likely to get psychiatric disorders and things like that as well. And if you get one psychiatric disorder, you're much more predisposed to getting all the other psychiatric disorders as well. So yeah, they do, they do run in packs. And I think that's, that's because that these so-called diseases or chronic diseases that we're treating like cancer, like heart disease, like diabetes, autoimmune diseases, even psychiatric diseases, that these are not diseases per se, but toxicities and malnutrition. So a toxic buildup of species inappropriate diet and a lack of species specific nutrition, right? So, so namely too many plants that we did not evolve to, to be able to eat and detoxify properly and not enough fatty meat, which is what humans are designed to eat. Hey, do you know that study? Um, uh, my boss, uh, I used to, I, I used to work over at CrossFit and I work closely with the founder oh, over there, Greg, Greg Glassman. Mm-hmm. And, and he would talk about this study. He, he was a huge fan of Thomas Seafried. He would, mm-hmm. I hung out with him a few times. Uh, he would, he would, Greg would have him around, but there was this study that I heard him talk about. I'm going to screw it up. I apologize for putting you on the spot, but basically they took cancer. They, they took cancer cells from mice who had cancer mm-hmm. and they, I think they took the nucleus of the cancer cell yeah, and they put it into cells of healthy mice that didn't have cancer and the cancer didn't spread. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, like, go, it goes, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. 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 Well, I was just going to say, and it, and it went, it went on from there. So they took, so they you took, know that study. Oh yeah. 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 God, I love you, Anthony. Yes. Yeah. yes. You're going to make me seem smart by the end of this show. Go on. Yes, of course. Yeah. This study. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, so that was um, uh, that was a, that was a nuclear tran- uh, transfer study. So they took they took the nuclear the nuclei from cancer cells with all the genetic changes, right? Because again, not all the cancer cells will have genetic changes. So they took the ones that did have genetic changes, and they put those into a, a cell that had healthy mitochondria, um, and it, they did not behave as cancer. They could even clone like frogs and and rats <laughs> out of them, right? And then they took the mitochondria out of uh, the cancer cells because while 
cancer cells don't always have genetic changes. They all have damaged mitochondria, all of them. And so, and that's very important for many reasons, but they took those damaged mitochondria out and put those into a normal cell with normal, healthy DNA. And it did behave as cancer and they couldn't clone it or anything like that. It just behaved very malignantly or they just died off. Um, and then they went one step further and they took, um, they took like the healthy mitochondria and put them in cancer cells. It suppressed the cancer. Oh shit. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so to me, I mean, that's, that's QED. Like that's what it's proved. Like that's just. What's that mean QED? QED? It's a, it's Latin. It means thus it is proven. Thus, yeah. You know, QED, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so of course, of course, of course, Anthony. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what you do at like the end of like a like a proof or something like that. Like in school, if you did a proof, when when you're done, you just tag in QED, which just means the end, you know? And that is why this is the greatest podcast ever, QED. QED. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, Caleb, let's try to work that into every show after, please. QED. <laughs> QED. Um the, the you you were interviewed the other day by a guy. I saw it posted like two weeks ago um, and, and he said he had autism somewhere like halfway mm. through the interview. He's like, yeah, I had autism a year ago. I couldn't have give, done this interview with you, but since yeah. I'm on the carnivore diet, my shit's yeah. gotten, I unfucked myself and I saw yeah. your face kind of light up like a big smile. And I worked with disabled adults for five years very closely and, and mm. with a lot of people with autism, their favorite drink is was Coca-Cola. Yeah. And in, in hindsight, boy, I really screwed that up. But wow. Did that, did you know when you went into that interview that that guy was autistic? No, I, I had no idea, but it, I mean, it was absolutely a delight to see that you, because you didn't have any idea. Right. You know, he was, he was a little so odd well. in the beginning. He was a little aggressive. I thought like some, some <laughs> kind of some weird, Yeah, but, 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 but you're right. I wouldn't have guessed autistic. No. And you know, it's, um, you know, it, it could be, you know, any, any sort of, uh, you know, strangeness could, could easily be chalked up to the fact that, you know, he, he's, he's, got, you know, a bit nervous doing uh, an interview, which is, right. I, sure. I, you know, I was nervous. I was very nervous doing interviews when I first started and, you know, probably still get, get nervous as well. Um, so I think it could be easily be, you know, just, just ch chalked up to nerves. I certainly didn't think anything uh, more than that. Um, but it was great. And it's in, you know, it's something that, that sort of, um, so nice to see because this is something that that people uh you know can devastate their lives or their children's lives and, and people feel very helpless and it's just like well this is just it and you know we can just do the best we can but you know there's proof positive that that you actually have so much more control over yourself and and your children's future especially when they're children because your brain is still developing uh once your brain is fully developed well you can you can optimize things and you can help your brain work as well as it possibly can which is what you know Jonathan uh, was doing it was Jonathan Griffiths um and but when you're a child and your brain's still developing, that's really what, what autism is. It's a misdevelopment of, of the neurons. And there are a number of different reasons why this happens. One of them is actually carnitine. Uh, carnitine is a non-essential amino acid, supposedly, but it is essential for some people. And you actually do benefit from getting more of it in your diet. Um, it doesn't exist in plants. It does not exist in fungus. So you have to get it from meat if you need it. Some kids don't produce enough or they don't produce any at all. And carnitine is integral for neuronal development. So if you don't have enough carnitine, your brain will not develop properly. 
and you will develop a certain kind of autism. There's multiple different kinds of autism and causes of autism. That's one of them. And um, this is why we, this God, is one you of the say some crazy shit. I mean, I like, <laughs> it's like, it's not crazy to me. It, like, I, like yeah. I'm, I agree 100%. Like my wife was a complete vegan vegetarian. She got pregnant. Mm. I took her out and she, the first thing she did is order a hamburger and scarf it down. Nice. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I go, I just go yeah. with it. But she, she's Ashkenazi Jew. It's going to take a lot of meat to make a big Jew brain baby. Yeah. That's and, it. And she knew it. Thank God. When I hear you say yeah. that, I heard you say this yesterday in a podcast. I was like, thank God my wife didn't stick mm. to her vegan roots and she switched to meat. So this yeah. thing's important for brain development. Oh, it, it's, it's vital. Like you, vital. you will not develop your brain properly. And while, you know, if you haven't, you have an adequate amount of it, you know, what if you, what if you don't have as much as you could have had and your right. brain doesn't develop to the point, the extent that it could have, you know, I mean, just because someone's normal intelligence doesn't mean that they are as intelligent as they could have been, which I think is, is a bit of a crime as well. Um, you know, the, the average cranial capacity of, you know, uh, of humans has decreased by 11% since, before the agricultural revolution. What's decreased by 11%? Like the mass brain of the size. brain? Our brain size, yeah. Just the size, the physical volume of it, you know? Oy. And we're essentially the same genetically for the last 300,000 years besides, you know, a few minor minor details. So our, our brains absolutely have the same capacity for thought, language, and 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 speech. And, you know, and, and, and yet, you know, we think that we're so much more advanced. We are technologically, but intellectually, they probably were more intelligent than us because their brains were bigger and they were probably better developed. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't have all the technologies that they could just, you know, look things up. They had to remember, they had to remember everything. And so they had to use their brain. They had to do a lot more with a lot less. Um, you know, back when, um, when writing was, was coming through uh, ancient, ancient Greece, there was actually a lot of discussion and argument on, you know, should we adopt this? Because they're saying like, Hey, you know, if you just can write something down, then you don't need to remember it. This is going to ruin our memories. Before wow. that, they, everyone had to have like a perfect memory and they had to train their memory to make it perfect so that they could just go around and just remember everything. And they were saying like, Hey, we shouldn't write things down because that will, we won't need to remember things. I mean, how many, how many, you know, uh, phone numbers did you know before you got a cell phone? I knew literally 150 every now and then yes, I'd, I'd write yes, them all out. Yes. I, Wait, I, I you're know. not that. How old are you? 43. Just turned 43 on Sunday. Wow. Yeah, happy birthday. And, and you. you, that's old enough to need to remember phone numbers. I'm, fi I'm, 50. I'm 50. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I didn't get my, I didn't get a cell phone until I was like 20 something. Listen, know? people, did you hear it? Yeah. I have this theory. Like you want to fuck your kid up, give them a cell phone before they're 15. Mm. Your, your kid's done. He's just yeah. going to be a masturbating machine. Don't ever <laughs> just do not give your, it's just the truth. Yeah. You're not, there's no, the, don't give your kid a cell phone and sign them up for CrossFit. And I know that's still, it's a really bar, low bar, but your kid will turn out 98% better than uh, it will be in the 98 percentile automatically right there. Definitely. No cell phone CrossFit. It, it's that easy these days. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I know all my phone numbers from when I was a little kid, all my mm. friends phone numbers. Now I don't even know my mom's number, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was, I had to write down my parents' number just the other day and I'm like, Oh shit, what is it? And, um, like I ended up like piecing it out, but it was like, it was a close thing. Like I wasn't, uh, it should have just been like that. You know, I remember my, my old house number. I remember my house number from, from California. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. 
yeah, all that, but everything else now. Hey, dude, and, I don't um, even remember street names anymore because I, when I go to a new Google. area, I use yeah. the MapQuest type or whatever that thing is. The Google Map I showed my age, yeah. the, the, the the Map app. And, yeah. and now, like, I don't my exit at my house. I know it's like for I don't even know exactly what that sign looks like. I don't know what exit number it is or anything, mm. even though I know it says it's huge on there. Yeah, I'm I'm the, I'm the same way. I always go by Google Maps, yeah. and you know, when especially when I was going around Europe, you know, you had to sort of do that in Europe because they actually don't necessarily even have like the street signs up, yeah. and so they're like, oh yeah, you want to, and so like back, like cause I, I was traveling Europe, uh, you know, playing rugby, you know, before iPhones and things like that, so I actually had to go on MapQuest. And like have, have like and print out the paper. Do you remember when you'd yeah, print it yeah. out and you'd have it like with yeah. you and shit? <laughs> yeah, just just walk around like an asshole and like and try to look for signs. Yeah, and like half the time there were no signs. There were yeah. no signs for these streets. And so you just you just had to know that this street was named this, and uh, and that was very difficult. And so as soon as the the map apps came, I was just I was all over those things. And uh, you know, my dad never uses those. And so he still knows all the street names, all the ways to go. And so he'll tell me how to get somewhere. He's like, what you want to do is you want to go down here, you go down three miles, you take this exit, you take it. I'm like, dad, this, I am not going to even try to remember any of this. I'm just going to get the the address. I'm just going to put it in. Thank you. Hey, um, I wonder what the mechanism is. Wow, this is way off subject. Uh, I wonder what the mechanism that makes some people be able to do maps and some people not. Like when I was a little kid, I loved maps, like paper maps you get from mm-hmm. AAA. I loved mm-hmm. maps. But some, you, have you ever been with someone like your wife or something and, and they just can't use, they just can't do maps. They just, yeah, they definitely. Just, they just yeah. don't do maps. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's that, that, that spatial reasoning and things like that isn't, doesn't come as easily for everyone. Spatial and, reasoning. I like this. Yeah. And um, like, I never even trust the map. As soon as it gives me the directions, I zoom out as far as I can to, mm-hmm. to see the whole route. Right. And, and, yeah. and one out of 10 times you see something that like the map's done wrong. You're like, oh, why is it doing yeah. that? That's a, you know, that, that, that's a good point. Like I, I stopped using ways, like my brother would use this app ways and he said, oh, it's really, really good. It, it gives yeah. you all the shortest ways, ways to get there, but it would never show me the overall route. It would just say, be like, yeah, go this way. And so I don't, I don't even know if it's going to the right place. <laughs> right. You right. Know? right. Because, and, and sometimes it didn't, you know, sometimes it's just like, like whatever address, it just like clicked it over into like some other city somewhere. And I show up somewhere I'm like, where the hell am I? That and just like, happened got, to my wife's mom. That just happened yeah. to my mother-in-law. Yep. Yeah. So like, you need to see that overview because like, okay, yeah, I'm going to the right place. It didn't, you know, mess up somehow. And so, yeah, I think, I think ways can do that now, but I just basically wrote them off years ago just because i couldn't do that spatial reasoning skills Um, spatial reasoning is the ability to visualize and manipulate objects in the mind spatial reasoning is a skill needed for uh, not just mathematics Uh, an example of spatial reasoning is being able to look at a shape and imagine what it uh what it would look like from another angle oh yeah i've heard dogs don't do this so good a spatial Mm -hmm. reasoning also includes the ability to visualize what a two-dimensional net might uh, look like as a three-dimensional object. Oh, that's out of my, that's above my, <laughs> but yeah, they do that's those tests like with pets, right? Like something walks behind something and they have like some test to figure out whether the pet, pet recognizes, like if it went behind mm-hmm. something or if it just disappeared. Okay. Yeah. I always try to make but, dogs look dumber than they are. I don't yeah, think dogs are that dumb. No, definitely not. And, uh, yeah, just messing with the poor dogs. Like they're, they're just there to love you and to like, you know, help you. And then just people just messing with them, you know? I, and uh, I think that they, they sense stuff with other shit. Like obviously their smell and sound mm-hmm. that, uh, 
uh, accommodates their maybe their lack of spatial reasoning. I like this. I have a doctor on, and then I charge people for questions, and and I yeah. and, and, and you're just left with nothing. Uh, Philip Kelly, uh, Philip was on my show. Uh, just as a little background, he uh, got COVID really bad. Uh, he was not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some other complications, and, and he was in the hospital for forty days. Lucky, lucky oh, to wow. live. Yeah, lucky. Yeah. To live. A oh, CrossFitter. Yeah. I don't know a single, I, I think I've only known one CrossFitter and then the entire planet, he was overweight who died, uh, mm-hmm. from, uh, the virus. But, um, but this guy survived, uh, Anthony, in your opinion, how beneficial can carnivore diet be for COVID survivors with pulmonary fibrosis? Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be optimal for anybody in any situation, because I really do believe that this is our optimal diet, that this is, this is the most beneficial diet for humans to be on because it is our biologically appropriate species specific diet. So uh, whatever stage of life you're in, it's going to optimize your health. There is such thing as damage done and you can call it, you know, if I, when, when you get to the point of fibrosis, that's, that's permanent scarring. You're really not going to be able to what heal. Is that? Pul- pulmonary fibrosis. Fibrosis is just refers to scarring. And so scarring is, is, is a permanent, you know, permanent damage or destru- destruction. And they have to rebuild uh, scar tissue. Um, you're not really going to be able to replace all that scar tissue, maybe soften, maybe, you know, fix some of it. But, you know, like when you, when you, when your liver is cirrhotic, when it's scarred up, that part of the liver is dead and it's not going to come back. The other parts that are still around, maybe you can optimize those. And so, so the same thing for your lungs. Um, but at the same time, it is going to optimize your situation. So if you're in a bad situation, you have pulmonary fibrosis or you have other ailments, it's going to put you in the best position that you can be in any way. And so, you know, when you are sort of knocked back a bit by a serious illness like that, you know, you really don't want to be um, anything but optimal. And so I think that it's, it's probably more important for people such as yourself to, to get on this because you really do need to be at your peak game. And uh, by the way, that's why I'm so the only thing in my life that I've ever done that I regret is the 12 million bong rips I took that that <laughs> that made me feel like my lungs were on fire yeah. because all I can ever do now is wonder what I could have been. Do not yeah. burn shit and inhale it. Don't be a fucking idiot. Don't do any <laughs> drugs. I'm telling you, I, I know I sound old, but like all you can do at 50 now is wonder, God, how much better of a CrossFitter would I have been if I wouldn't have had had a bong smoking contest for three years in my life yeah <laughs> three years uh so you eat mm-hmm. meat and water yeah and you're like and you have nice skin and big eyes and you're buff and you're handsome and you're smart uh that my, yeah, my, so- you don't right those are you're those things yeah <laughs> i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's that's all you eat—just meat and water. Yeah, yeah, just and yeah, some salt. It. Maybe, maybe like if you're going to go big, you throw mm-hmm. some salt on there. Yeah. So yeah, just salt to taste. Uh, I, I've used less and less salt as I go. I, I don't always use salt, um, and uh, you know, I find that sort of the less I use, the less I want to use. And there are quite a lot of people that have just you know completely done away with salt altogether, and they feel a lot better for that, and they feel that that you know you 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 get even an extra leg up when you just get rid of all the salt completely. Um, I haven't done that yet. I haven't tried that completely yet, but I do find that I, you know, I don't need as much salt, nearly as much salt. And, but I just feel amazing, you know, and, and, and I've been doing this, 
you know, I started doing this 22 years ago, 23 years ago now. And I was doing that for sort of five, six years in my early 20s. And then I sort of fell off of it because I didn't really realize how significant what I was doing was. And then I just got back into it the last sort of five, six years. And then I really understood why I was doing it and that this was actually the reason I felt better than I'd ever felt in my entire life in my early 20s was not because I was in my early 20s, but because I was in my early 20s and eating like this. And then in my late 20s, as a professional athlete playing professional rugby at the top levels in the US and Canada and, and in Europe, I did not feel as good as I do now in my 40s eating a carnivore diet and I have better exercise tolerance. It's way easier to stay trim. Like I, I don't even have to try to stay in shape. Like I, I am always at the same body fat percentage. I will, I just never go above 10% body fat. And then when I'm working out and I'm training and lifting, it usually goes down to around six without even trying. And I get, I, it, I've six. never found it easier to, to put on muscle either. Yeah, this is crazy. Have you ever read that book, Stranger in a Strange Land by... Uh, no, I don't think so. Heinlein, Heinlein, H-E-I-L-A-N. You kind of, you kind of are giving me that that vibe. I, hey, would you ever do... Um, what do you think about that Neuralink? That would you... I mean, since you're going to be a neurosurgeon, you mm. think you'll be putting computer chips in people? I mean, if they want them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> But, um, this is a great audio book, but if, if I, 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 I don't read a lot of fiction, but man, this, God, this book's insane, dude. This book is What's so, about? is so fascinating. They say it's sci-fi and, and he was in the same uh, kind of cohort as, um, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Ray mm -hmm. Bradbury and the Scientology guy. They were, I think they were all, you know, uh, oh, Robert Heinlein. He's, he's the one that wrote, uh, Brave New World, wasn't he? No, who was that? No, that was before him. Uh, oh, 1987. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, way before him. Yeah. But but this book basically is about an alien that comes from another planet, and he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on here on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. The thing that sticks out to me the most is he says, "What a shame!" It he says we're the only creatures in the in the cosmos that. Um, can be enlightened and also still procreate that all the other enlightened creatures in the cosmos, uh, they, in order to be enlightened, they don't procreate and that we're totally fucking it up because we get both, <laughs> but because of jealousy and all of these things and our un, uh, unchecked emotions, we're screwing it all up. But That's there's some, funny. yeah, there's some fascinating ideas uh, mm. pre presented in the book it, it, and it's read so well. But the guy's all the guy basically what made me think of you is the guy's basically whatever he puts his mind to his body just does kind of like hmm. he, he's a he's a mind over matter guy, not in the Marvel sense where it's just like just, you know, just pulling down skyscrapers. But mm -hmm. uh, but it's some it's some cool stuff. Who introduced you to the 20 years ago? That seems like you're a little ahead of your time. Were you just dabbling in Atkins or something? No, it was, it was, uh, it was sort of completely circuitous. I, I was taking cancer biology in my undergraduate degree and, you know, we, you know, I'd, I'd taken biology and I'd taken botany. So these things sort of were already there that, you know, I, I mean, literally learned in seventh grade that plants and animals are in an evolutionary arms race, plants becoming more and more poisonous. So less and less animals can eat them. And so they can survive and thrive. And then animals becoming more and more adapted to 
specific plants with specific poisons so they can detoxify those poisons safely and they can eat that and they can survive and thrive. Like, you know, a, a koala eats eucalyptus, nothing else eats eucalyptus, right? But mm -hmm. they don't eat, but koalas don't eat anything else because they, anything else will actually cause them to be, you know, cause them quite a lot of harm and actually kill them. So, you know, this, th that was literally how that was explained to me in seventh grade. And then private you know, school? was that a private school? Uh, no, no, that was Public just school? normal school. Yeah, that was that was in um, like Washington School District. And you remember uh, the teacher's Ohio. name? What was her name? I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, kind of cool. She gave yeah. that to you. Wow. Yeah, well, that was it. You know, it was just it was a good it was a good school district. The public school district in that area in Kirkland, Washington, it was actually actually very good, and um, and so that was that was lucky, but um when I took cancer biology, you know, and I understood because I, I'd taken botany classes and things like that. And I understood that, you know, plants are, are, uh, stationary. They can't run away or fight back and all living things have a defense. And while animals can run away or fight back, that's their defense that plants can't. And so, you know, they have to use other defensive defensive means. And one of those means is, is, you know, being poisonous. They just have, they have a lot of poisons that they can, and uh, that they can excrete and they can also bind up their nutrients in ways that animals can't break down and they don't have the right enzymes to, to break up or get good nutrition from. So I knew all that. And then I was taking cancer biology and, you know, we learned day one that again, plants defend themselves by using chemical deterrence and that some of these things are actually mutagenic and carcinogenic. That's on the WHO website. You know, WHO who pitches a plant-based diet, they have, a, they have a whole page about all the toxic elements in plants and, um, and how, you know, how poisonous these things are and how you have to, and then talking about how these things can kill you or cause cancer. And so, you know, we were learning this uh, from a cancer perspective. And so we were looking at carcinogens. And so we learned day one that, you know, Brussels sprouts had 136 already identified human carcinogens. Oh and no. That, yeah. I yeah. love a Brussels sprout. Yeah. <laughs> but do you, but do you love them raw without no, any sort not of so much, right? not, not so yeah. much. So that's I mean, the I've thing. eaten some raw, but I, I prefer them actually mushy, like mashed potatoes. Mm. Like you can't even tell they're Brussels sprouts anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And butter. that's usually the thing, you know, we cook them, we put butter on them. We put, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, cheese and salt and pepper. Salt, and things more like salt, please. Yes. Yeah. And so, so that that's changing and, and adulterating the chain of the, the taste and what that taste is that that bitter taste yeah is your is your is a warning signal right? right your brain and your tongue are sophisticated machines and they can actually identify harmful chemicals and so that's actually a warning system it's saying hey th this is bad for you that's why that's why that's what that bitter taste is you know it's not just just bitter to like you know piss off kids you know when they when they, you want them to eat your veg their vegetables it's there to tell you don't eat this this is harmful you know deer don't go around eating the shitty tasting leaves you know, they eat the, the leaves that taste good, you know? And so, you know, they don't have the a baby a, leaves, the baby leaves, the new growth. Potentially. Yeah. And some, some of those baby leaves don't have as much, uh, toxins as well. Um, it's like but, that in grapevines, I have grapevines all over my house. And if I pick just the baby leaves, I can eat them, but the big leaves mm. taste like ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, that's the thing. And so that, that's, that's what you're tasting. You're tasting more defense chemicals that your body's trying to warn you away from. Now you can cook them like, like a potato. I don't know if you've ever bitten into a raw potato. I have when I was a kid, it's disgusting. It is so bitter. And I remember even just looking at it and I just knowing that it was going to taste bad. And, uh, and then, and it did. And 
but we cook it and it sort of denatures these things. And so now they're sort of off the register. You know, they're just our, our brain's trying to look it up and like, yeah, we don't know what the hell this is. And so it just tastes bland. It doesn't really have any flavor. And that's what a baked potato is. It doesn't really have any any taste to it. But that doesn't or mean jicama. is like that. Yeah. Yeah. And um you still remember what vegetables taste like? Like do you I do. like when I, I say I jicama, do you remember jicama. what it tastes like? Do I do, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, but with like potatoes, they they have a ton of toxins in them, like solanine. You know, you know the potatoes are are not in the nightshade family, like tobacco and belladonna, uh, but also potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, all capsicums, things like that. And so they have solanine and other things in it uh, that that are quite harmful to people. And so you can cook that, and that can denature it, so your brain doesn't recognize it. But that doesn't make it go away, and it doesn't make them safe. You know, some things you can denature through heat, but but not all of them. Some of them just change it enough so you don't really taste them. And then you cover it with butter and sour cream and bacon. And people say, oh, I love potatoes. And it's like, well, you probably don't. You know, you, you love the bacon and the butter and the sour cream and the cheese. Mm-hmm. But you try eating a potato on its own, it's disgusting. You try eating uh, a Brussels sprout on its own, it's disgusting. You know, you, people, I mean, there's there's some weirdos out there that like that like raw Brussels sprouts. But, you know, I think of it more as, you know, something along, uh, you know, akin of um, Stockholm syndrome. You know, they just they fall in love with their abuser. They've been told since they were a kid. Yes, yes, that, um, yes. They've been told that since they were a kid that you know this is really good for you. This is good for you. This is good for you. Eat it, eat it, eat it. And uh, and then you get in your head, okay, oh, this is good for me. This is good for me. It's just like you know, but but you have to condition yourself to do that. And maybe there's some people that that naturally like it, but most people don't. The vast majority of people find that that bitter taste quite unappealing. And, and that's what it is. It's, 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 you know, you're tasting bad chemicals. So we were learning that about Brussels sprouts, mushrooms, spinach, kale, broccoli, all of these things had dozens, if not over a hundred known human carcinogens in them. And they were quite abundant. You know, there was, there was work from professor Bruce Ames from UC Berkeley, where in back in 1989, he published his works looking at the amount of naturally occurring toxins and pesticides in the plants that the, the plants produce in order to stop, you know, uh, animals and insects from eating them. And they, f- and he found that there were over 10,000 times the amount of naturally occurring poisons in plants and vegetables than the pesticides we were spraying on them industrially. Crazy. And that they, you know, were a thousand times more likely to cause cancer than the pesticides that we were spraying on them. Right. So, you know, this is, you know, this is why we still have pesticides. You God, know, that's so hard to believe. Them. I'm so programmed not to believe that. That's yeah, that's no. amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, the, the one caveat to that, I'd say, is that, you know, we haven't, we weren't using glyphosate at that point. I think that came in the 90s. What is you that? Know? Some sort of bug spray? Yes, yeah, Roundup. Yeah, that's oh, what they use in yeah, all the yeah, GMO yeah. sort of crops. Oh, that, that's, that's poison. These fucking idiots. Yeah. I, I live in California. Yeah. Anytime I, since I've been a little kid, anytime I've seen someone spraying poison on the cracks of their driveway, I want to get mm. out and beat them with a bat. Sorry, my wife's yeah. going to hate me for saying that. What are you doing? Yeah. What do you really think? You really are spraying bad shit that kills plants on your property? Just go over and pull it out, you ding dong. Yeah, I think. Well, that's that's the thing. It's it's like to, to spray this instead of just reaching down and and yeah. Pulling it's, it out. God, it's crazy. You know? Yeah. It's like spraying raid in your house. Listen, you knuckleheads. If it's killing the ants, it's killing you too. What are you doing? Mm. You bought a can yeah. of poison and brought it into your house? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. you? You know what I just saw today? I just what? saw I just saw a video that we're talking about that as well. 
uh, they were talking about Pam, you know, that, that, that sort of uh, spray that you put on a pan or whatever. So it's nonstick. I'm like, Oh, look how yeah, great this yeah, is. Yeah. And you think it's just like, you know, some vegetable oil and like some compressed air. Yeah. It turns out it's not compressed air. They use butane and propane. Right. So you're literally spraying lighter. And this is why, and I've done this as a kid. You, know, you take like a lighter and the pan just, I'm like, that can't, that can't be good. You know? And, um, and that's, uh, that's one is. of the yeah. greatest activities as a young man, by the way, yeah. that's what makes boys boys. If you haven't done that, you're not a boy yeah. a can yeah, and exactly. a lighter. Remember Banaka yeah. even you'd spray Banaka. Yeah. Get a one light yeah. torch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. Propane and butane. And you're spraying this on your food and you're cooking with it. How, how, how is that a good thing? You know? Nice, nice, Caleb. <laughs> hey, dude, you know what's crazy, Anthony? Is like if you like if if you watch like all these vlogs from oh, that's a nice rig that guy's got. That looks dangerous. He's got the lighter actually strapped to the can. That's way advanced. <laughs> that's a whole plan for him. Yeah, that's a future uh, problem yeah. right there. Uh, kid, join the military or else you are gonna go sideways. <laughs> um, you see all these perf- the athletes in my community and they, they have these vlogs and you always see them doing that, spraying their pan before they cook their four mm-hmm. eggs and their bagel slice. And they're, and I'm like, I always think, God, you re- there's nothing in your brain that tells you if it's in a can, you shouldn't eat it. Like everything that when mm-hmm. I see a can, I'm just like, my brain's like, dude, don't eat what's in there. Yeah. No matter yeah, what well, the I mean, can is. Yeah. Where, where was that 50,000 years ago? Yeah. You know? I mean, if, we, if, we're, if we're doing this intelligently, you know, we, we should look at our biological past and, and see, like, hey, what were we eating? What, what do we have available? And, like, even if you, you say that, okay, well, we were eating plants and vegetables, well, which ones? Because none of the plants and vegetables that we have access to now existed 50,000 years ago. None of them. You know, they've all been, you know, you know, genetically engineered in one way or the other. Uh, none of these things existed back then. And, uh, and in fact, no, we weren't really eating plants back then at all. Maybe sometimes as, you know, if we had to, because we were starving or used medicinally, but the vast majority of what we were eating was meat. And, you know, and then people would say like, oh, well, maybe we just weren't thriving, not doing well and people dying of heart attacks and obesity at, you know, 25. I was like, that's garbage. That is so stupid. You know, like you, you, you what are not like thinking- in the past, like people are yeah. like, that, that must've been happening. To- oh, during the caveman era, like well, yeah. uh, Dr. Anthony, you know, the average age of death in uh, mm. 1200 BC was actually 40 years old. Yeah. That's and, and they were getting they- eaten by lions. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and in 1850 in America as well, because the thing is, is what what the average life expectancy is, the average life expectancy from birth. And until the 20th century, when the OBGYN uh, specialty you know, came about and became actually you know, very um, you know, beneficial to the human race, the infant mortality rate was like three in five. Wow. You know, you have to live pretty damn long. Those other two guys have to live pretty long yeah, time yeah, to get yeah. the average from birth up to 36. Yeah. Right. And that's what it was in 1850 in the U.S. It was average from birth was was 36. But they weren't retarded back then, which people hear. One of my favorite words. He's speaking (laughs) clinically. No one get triggered. He's he's a doctor. You can use that. It's Latin. It means it means slowed. You know, it's like when you're taking when you're taking chemistry, you put in something to retard the reaction. You know, I I, I refuse to sort of play with those games like this is a word. It has meaning. And it actually is a medical term. You're you're right. It's, It's sub it's sub. Uh, sub-average intelligence, you know, and, and, and people, um, you know, use the word idiot, 
moron imbecile and things like that. Oh, imbecile's they, they great. Imbecile's yeah. great. <laughs> and they don't bat an eye. But what those words mean is that you are mentally retarded to a specific IQ range. Oh. So, yeah. So a moron actually actually denoted an IQ between 50 and 70. Imbecile was 30 to 50. Yeah. And idiot yeah. was zero to 30. That's wow. why idiot is the most, most commonly used one. It's the worst you can call yeah. someone. It is yeah. the lowest intelligence possible. And that's why it was so popular. So all the best insults were formally uh, medical terms like cretin. You say, are you cretin? That's actually a medical condition. It's it's congenital hypothyroidism. So, oh, it's uh, not like the people from the island of Crete who are like inbred or something. No, no, no. Okay. No, yeah. okay. And uh, well, may, maybe the sort of origin of the name might might come from. I don't know, but uh, but that but that's what that cretinism is is uh, is um, congenital hypothyroidism. So if the mom doesn't have has, is hypothyroid during pregnancy or the kid and and or the kid is. Uh, you know, uh, still has low thyroid as well. They develop very differently. They're short stature. They don't grow as big. They have very specific facial deformities and, and they're, you know, uh, intellectually uh, impaired significantly. And so, you know, and, and, you know, that's an actual term, you know, and people use that as an insult and that's why they use it. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, previously, like in the 1800s, they thought about this rationally and uh, yeah, there you go. And, um, yeah, yeah. And, um, so in the 1850s, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it aside with this, you know, Mark Twain popularized the, uh, the saying it, you know, there are three kinds of lies. There are lies, there are damn lies and there are statistics. And so these are old lies with statistics. So they say like, oh, well, you know, people, you know, the life expectancy was 40 or whatever it was. That's a lie of statistics because yes, that's technically correct from birth, but we're not talking about from birth. We're talking about how long do people actually live, right? If they're not killed by a lion or, a, or, you know, a war or something like that, if they just died of old age. And so in the 1800s, they looked at that. And so there's census data, you know, available all the way back to 1850 that every decade they look at this and they don't just look at the, the average life expectancy from birth. They look at it every 10 years. So average life expectancy from zero is 36 in 1850. But at 10, oh, it was like 56, yes. right? Yes. So if you made it to 10 years old, on average, you'd make it to 56 years old. Yes. And it went and went up from there. So if you so people have made it to adulthood, they generally lived about as long as they do now. Pretty close. Yeah, there's you great know. there's great stuff like that. Uh, Thomas Sowell, uh, uh, oh, Sowell, so, yeah. yeah, he yeah. he has some great statistics on that, right? Like, yeah. um, the, the 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 wealthiest people in the United States are Jews, and the poorest were Puerto Ricans. Jews made a hundred thousand dollars a year. Puerto Ricans made twenty five thousand dollars a year. And then he goes, but if they tell you that, and they never tell you that the median age of a Jew in the U.S. is fifty years old, the median age of a yeah. Puerto Rican is twenty five year old. I mean, when yeah. I was twenty five, I was fucking homeless. Now I'm 50. Mm. I'm rich. It's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> you cannot compare. I mean, you know, I mean, what were yeah. you doing at 25 doctor? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah you were exactly. like checking your pocket to see if you could buy food for your, yeah. your next to do your next rugby practice. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, it's crazy what you can do with statistics, yeah. the manipulation. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I, I, Thomas Sowell is the best for that. 
you know, he, he's, yeah. he's like, no one digs into the, you know, into the bedrock of what's actually going on uh, and, and showing you like, this is what's really happening. One of the ones that I, I really uh, like to throw in the face of other, other doctors, things like that, because people just buy this nonsense. Uh, and there's a few of them, but um, the one in particular that he pointed out was uh, infant mortality rate. They're saying that, you know, in America, every, everyone tries to trash the American healthcare system because they're trying to tear it down and put in a governmental healthcare system, which I, I can tell you because I've worked in government health, health healthcare systems in Europe and now Australia, they are horrible, horrible. Okay. I've, I've been doing this for over a decade in these systems. Oh, it's everyone, everyone horrible. we have on the show for the vast majority say, if you're in Canada or the UK right now, you're screwed. They said it's basically a mm. collapse. Well, it's, yeah, it's in a permanent state of collapse. It just, it just, it's just limping along, but it's, it's just, you know, they're just trying to put on patches and things like that. And then just what they do is they just delay things. And, you know, you, you're waiting. I mean, literally, so I'm in neurosurgery. You have people that come in for like a non-emergent sort of situation, but they're in horrific pain. And, you know, they have this, some pinched nerve in their back and they, they, they can't walk because of the pain. They can't work. They haven't worked in five years. And you're not allowed to see them. It, it literally, the average wait time right now is four and a half years just to see them in the UK in, in an office. Uh, in Australia. Holy crap. Yeah. So four but and a half free, years. But it's free, Anthony. But it's well, free. It. Uh, yeah, well, just, get, it's free. You get what F-R-E-E. you pay for. F-R-E-E. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the thing too. You know, you see these people, it's four and a half years wait time to get in to see us, right? And then it's going to take months. We're going to try different sorts of treatments. We're going to get another MRIs and all these sorts of things. And then we'll say, okay, well, you know, we think that surgery is a good idea. Well, then they go on the wait list for surgery. It can take a year or two to get surgery. Right. So, so the real times are people waiting six years and they're not working the whole time. Right. So even if you made minimum wage, right, it would be in your best interest to take a loan and get that surgery. It's, it's, it's 12 to $15,000 to get like a, like a lumbar laminectomy, you know, and just, and just decompress those nerves. Right. And yet these people are, you know, some of these people are like have really high paying jobs, like labor jobs in the, in the mining industry, which is like a big industry in Australia. They're making 150 grand, you know, pushing 200 grand a year, like working in the mine sites. And they don't want to spend 12 grand getting, getting a surgery. Like, oh, I, I, you know, I shouldn't, I can't afford that. It's like, you can't afford not to, you know, you're losing out on 200 grand a year for six years. You're missing out on all the promotions, all the pay, and just and just being a functional human being. And so, you know, and it, it makes no sense. I mean, it makes no sense for the system either because the system is now not collecting taxes and tax rates are huge here. It's like 50%. So they're, you know, the, the, the government's losing out on, you know, 80, 90 grand a year on these guys. Right. And they're paying 60 grand a year in disability. How is this, how is this a workable system? All just because they don't want to pay 15 grand for a surgery. I mean, they're both losing out hey, in, do that, you tell, in that scenario. Do you tell them, hey, dude, like while you're waiting, you might as well cut out all inflammation. What's that look like, doctor? Well, that's a three-day water fast mm-hmm. and then immediately just start eating steaks. Yeah, well, you know, and, I mean, and some people, yeah. When it, can you tell them that or would you lose your shit? Would you end up like uh, – who is the who is the the guy over there? Noakes. Would you end up like uh, no? Noakes was in South Africa, right? No, he was in he was in Tasmania. Yeah, so he was Australian. Oh no, sorry. Noakes was in in South Africa. And yeah, they tried guy, to Gary they Becky. tried to take away his. Uh, yeah, I mean they ruined his life. I mean, yeah, they fucked up his life. I mean, basically yeah. they put him in the system and tried to take his medical degree away because he said yeah. carbs were bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how crazy is that? Like, like what, crazy. What, what, 
you know, what's what's your dog in this fight? And he was like, no, God damn it. You will not, you know, talk you shit will- about my lovely carbs. Like, what the hell kind of sense does that Crazy. make? But, but they do it to a lot of people. There was a, a Dr. Gary Fetke here yeah. in Tasmania. And he uh, is an orthopedic surgeon. And he was just basically telling people, was like, hey, you know, you can you can help yourself by by going on a ketogenic diet and on a low carb diet. And, and here's all the evidence. Here's all the, the background on it. And, and so they did, and they were benefiting themselves. You'd think the system would like that because he was saving the the hospital system and the government literally millions of dollars a year in uh, unnecessary surgeries that that now did not need to happen. And these, these people were just better, so they didn't need these massive joint replacements. And so you know, he's he's actually doing a good thing for his patients and a good thing for the system. You'd think he'd be, you know, get a, get a statue made of him, but no, they, they tried to run him out and they tried to take his license away. They just went after him and they even, um, because I've, I've actually spoken to him and he, he was saying that they, that they said that they wanted him to settle and they wanted him to pay like hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. They wanted to like take his license away for a few years um, and then do this whole mea culpa sort of thing. And, um, and, and one of the conditions was, and you, uh, and that he, they wanted him to sign this thing and said, even if a ketogenic dietary approach becomes mainstream practice, you still can't recommend it. You can't. And so he was just like, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. And he took them to the Supreme Court and he won, but it cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and years of his life. And, um, yeah, you know, I think Wikipedia pulled down his page too. Oh, really? I think, yeah. He's part of this whole group of people, Wetke, uh, the Fetke, uh, Go- Gauthier, Gautier. I think maybe Zoe Harcomb. Do you know who that is out of the UK? Mm, I think yeah. they pulled down her. I, yeah. Wikipedia. So, so like Osama bin Laden and Hitler have, <laughs> wiki pages but they're going the wiki is going through and canceling these people who are uh, the low carb guys yeah they're probably sponsored by nestle or something like that so they're like oh, nope get them out yeah. it's, see if you can find gary fetke's wiki page uh K- K- caleb god F-E-T-K-E. what a, uh, fetke uh, f-e-t-t-k-e oh i would have said, thought there was an h in there or something yeah, what a crazy world. Uh, uh, someone in the comments said uh, uh, um, homegrown Brussels sprouts are fantastic. You did mm-hmm. say something in this uh, interview I heard you talk about about if you are going to eat tomatoes, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, uh, mm-hmm. grow the plant at your house and let it get really ripe. And it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. funny you say that because I have tomatoes growing in my yard uh, almost all year round. I'm in California. They basically mm-hmm. – and, and they just reproduce. They're like a weed back there now. And we never pick them and bring them in the house. But every once in a while, I'll go out there and there'll be one just like barely hanging on and I'll pluck mm-hmm. it off and eat it. And it's so darn good. Why yeah. Why is the in, – in the tomato in particular, why is it better to do vine-ripe uh, tomato? So, you know, a fruit is obviously, a, you know, a vessel for the seed, right? And the plant, while it wants something to eat, the fruit and then move the seeds. It doesn't always want you to eat the fruit. There are plenty of fruits that are deadly poisonous that will kill you because they want a specific animal to move that seed and, and the seeds will, will, will germinate in the gut. Like, um, the, uh, cassowary bird in the tropics. Castle what bird? Cassowary bird. It's like a, a small emu looking thing. And, uh, and they're, they're brugivores. They just eat these fruit. And so there's a whole bunch of different tropical fruits and berries that they eat. Uh, and they're the only ones you can't. And um, all oh, these that's things, a nice yeah, that bird, freaky looking dinosaur. 
And um, so the, the fruits that they eat only germinate in their gut. And if they don't get eaten by a cassowary bird, they don't germinate. And so it's imperative that they do. So they have this, this sort of symbiotic development together. And so they are deadly, deadly poisonous to any other animal. Like, like you eat one of these fruits. Oh, it's a tropical fruit. Yeah, you'll die if you eat it. And, um, and there's about 150 of them that, that the cassowary bird eats that uh, will kill you. Um, and there's a ton of fruits like that. But there are fruits that, that we can eat. There are fruits that are, that are more available. But again, tomatoes are nightshades. And nightshades are just inherently more toxic to humans. They're very toxic to you know, dogs and things like that. So the fruit is going to be even more toxic when it's not ripe because the seed's not ready to go. So the, uh, and it's going to be like hard and it's going to be you know sour or bitter or something like that. I mean, think of an avocado, you know, th- like most people like avocados, right? But when it's not ripe, it's rock hard because it does not want things to eat it, right? So tomatoes the same way. So it was, it was, it was, you know, sort of folklore. You don't eat avocado either. I don't. You know, I do like avocado, but no, I don't eat them. Okay. No. And and I mean, the reason being is because there are going to be some things in it, and right. and for the reasons we talk about, you know, they're probably not all vine ripened or tree ripened, right? And and that matters. Um, but they'll still have some in there, and and either way, it's not going to be as good as a steak. You know, hey dude, I have a bunch of avocado trees. I, I, I someone can unfuck me in the comments if they want, but I don't think an avocado ever ripens on a tree. The, my avocados, if I don't pick them when they mm-hmm. go from hard to rotten, basically <laughs> as the, because they start turning. And, and I am I am just three miles off the ocean, but they yeah. start to turn black if you leave them on too long. Like I've never picked an avocado and just ate it. It has to be picked, brought in the house, and then a week later you eat it. I've never. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I, I, yeah i have my you know my grandmother lived in in montecito and, they, and she had like she was up in that's like oh like, like right outside of montecito they got amazing avocados so you would just pick mm-hmm. them off the tree and you could eat them yeah okay, okay. yeah yeah um and um yeah but as, as far as the tomatoes are concerned you know they're going to be more toxic if they're if they're not ripe, and so this was this was something that's like folklore knowledge that that green tomatoes were toxic. That was something that people know. It was like don't eat green tomatoes; they're poison, yeah. right? And then people say, oh well, that's crazy, and you know that's just them saying that. But you know you you eat a lot of these things, and you will know about it. Um, so when it vine ripens, now the seeds are getting ready to go. You know to be uh, to be you know germinated, and so the the plant's sort of pulling out some of the toxins to make it, you know, less toxic to animals because so it can encourage them to eat it. But there have been studies done looking at tomatoes specifically, and they found that if you pick them while they're green, they don't actually get rid of the poisons because the, the, the poisons get sucked back into the plant. And whereas if you just pick it off there, they just stay there. Right. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the taste where you have, where you, you, you pick a tomato early. It, it just doesn't taste as, it's just, it's, like, yeah, it's just, not as not as exciting as like a fresh vine ripened tomato. It has that that really like amazing smell. It's like wow, it has a nice fresh taste and everything like that. Right. So it's going to have less of these toxins in them. And then the original usages of tomatoes, uh, they vine ripen them, and then they blanch the the skin. Right. So they dipped them in boiling water, and they were able to peel off the skin, and then they took the seeds out. Right. 
because the plant may want you to eat the fruit, but it does not want you to eat the seeds. And so the seeds are a plant's baby. Everything protects its baby more than anything. That's generally where you'll find the highest concentration of, of toxins is in the seeds. And so, you know, that's what the original spaghetti sauce and pasta sauce was, was they took the skin off. That's barrier protection. That's where a lot of the, the, the concentrated toxins are to stop animals and insects from eating into it and boring into it. And you take out the seeds as well, because that's going to be a protected part of the plant as well. And so they just used the other bits that were vine ripened, and this significantly reduced the toxicity of that. And so that, that's why you would do that. God, that sounds laborious. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And this is why they, they peeled t- potatoes. And now they're saying, oh, no, don't peel the potatoes. You know, that's where all the vitamins are. It's like, yeah, it's where all the poison is, too. You know, and so, you know, it's, I, there, there, were, there were reasons people did these things for hundreds of years. I don't want to forget um, uh, to tell you guys this. I should have opened with this. There is a video uh, that um, Anthony has on YouTube. It's called Carnivore for Beginners. Like th- I wish I would have seen this video 20 years ago. It's called Carnivore for Beginners, How to Start a Carnivore Diet with Tips. Uh, it's, it's on his YouTube station, Carnivore for Beginners, and then you can just type in his name also. You can just go to his – if you basically just type in Anthony um, Chafee. Did I say it right, Chafee? Yeah, Chafee. Chafee, um, C-H-A-F-F-E-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a great video. This is uh, – I – I watched this last night at one, one and a quarter speed while standing on my balance block. This is a, a great video. And even if you don't want to do this, will kind of inspire you. I encourage everyone, even if you think this is fucking crazy to try this, it's your, it's your body. Why not? Why not? Um, uh, you know, do some, some, uh, laboratory stuff, uh, with it. We had Chris, uh, Chris work on the show. Chris beat cancer. Do you know who that is? Uh, no, I haven't come across him. Okay, that the name of his book is Chris Beat Cancer. He was 20 years old or 23 years old, got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and he went on a pure um uh uh basic I, I, I don't think he's vegan anymore, but but he went on a pure vegan diet, right? Mm-hmm. And just basically just started just blending vegetables and fruits and just consuming them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he cured himself of his cancer. He ba- basically nice. opted out of all the medical procedures. And you know, and I've gone the other way. We, you know, uh, I I've had a uh, uh, Brian Johnson on here, the Liver King. I've had Paul on here. I had a bunch of people who've cured themselves of autoimmune diseases. Like this one guy. I don't know if you've seen him on Instagram, but he's the raw meat guy, and he just goes to Whole Foods and yeah, just buy an yeah. octopus and eat it. And like yeah. his stories, cr- his before and after pictures are nuts. He was a pimple. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was, he was grotesque looking and, uh, he said he couldn't, he said no t-shirt lasted him more than four weeks because oh, it would wow. get so many blood stains and pus stains oh, on Jesus it that you just have Christ. to throw it away. Yeah. And, uh, he had that for, you know, 10 years of his life. And after like, you know, four weeks of eating just, uh, dead animals cured. Yeah. Right. Well, that's awesome. Poor but, bastard. But, but what about, um, when you hear things like this guy, uh, uh, and I'm sure you've come across them. Uh, you have stage four colon cancer and you just switch to all vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What is your thought process? We, I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing your brain turns on and you try to explain uh, how he cured himself. Yeah. Well, I, I think the main thing is you're cutting out a bunch of processed garbage, you know? You yeah. Put, he cut out all, yeah. He won't even yeah. look at like, he can't even yeah. look at a McDonald's or you know what I mean? Yeah. Or anything in a can. Yeah. Zero processed, zero. 
Yeah. Well, that's it. You know, and, and, and I think that's a lot of the harm, you know, is this, this processed garbage, a lot of, you know, sugar, I mean, sugar is just added to anything processed, you know, anything that that's going to have a list of ingredients that someone else put together will have sugar in it because it's addictive. And the, the food companies know it's addictive It makes things taste good. And it also gives a, a dopamine hit to the addiction centers of your brain. It is an actual drug that is actually addictive and they put this stuff in everything. And so, you know, when you, when Which you get rid of you're that, referring to sugar, sugar, fructose specific. Fructose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that, that has been shown to give a dopamine dopamine response to the addiction centers of your brain. And uh, just like cocaine, heroin, and meth, and there are MRI studies looking at that and showed that, that fructose kills the same areas of your brain as meth to the same extent as meth. All right. And it's broken down in your liver into the same byproducts as alcohol. So you get the same damage to your <sighs> liver and your body as well. And uh, which is quite surprising. So when you, when you cut all that crap out, you're going to be in much better form and just carbohydrates is, you know, as you know, from Otto Warburg and professor Seafried, uh, cancers need 400 times the amount of sugar that normal cells do. And they cannot run on ketones. And so if you go on a whole foods, hopefully ketogenic diet, where you're cutting out all this you know, high octane carbohydrate and sugar filled garbage, you are going to seriously limit the available energy and resources to that cancer. Now, it could have been, you know, even uh, another step because cancers also feed on glutamine. And so they, they go, uh, they feed on glucose and glutamine and different cancers have sort of a different ratio of each. So if you're going on a, on a sort of plant-based whole food diet, you're also not going to get you know, a lot of available proteins. You know, that's not good for normal health, but if you're trying to starve your cancer of glutamine might actually not be the worst thing you ever did. And so, you know, going on a whole food diet of any description is going to, is going to improve your lot significantly and just getting rid of carbs and sugar, especially for cancer. Uh, and potentially there's that, that benefit from glutamine. When we look at the, the cancer trials in humans and in mice, when you're able to significantly limit the available resources for cancers, the cancers will die out. And so if you can target both glucose and glutamine, cancers die. They just die. And uh, Seafried showed this in animal models. They showed they had uh, four different groups they had, and, and this is with brain cancer and these glioblastoma brain cancers, 75% of their energy comes from glutamine. So they're actually very glutamine uh, dependent, right? Other cancers are much more glucose dependent. So a ketogenic diet just on its own really works well. <coughs> but a ketogenic diet in, in brain cancers actually worked very well as well, but they, it works even better when you are able to target glutamine. So there are, there are different drugs that can target glutamine, but they're not really uh, approved for, for humans at the moment, especially for GBM. But in the animal models, you can use these things. So they gave these GBM mice, glioblastoma brain cancer mice. One group was just given normal chow that you just give to these mice. They died after about you know eight, nine days, right? Then you had the ketogenic group that uh, lived twice as long as that, right? Calorie restricted ketogenic diet, twice as long. Then they had uh, this medication that targeted glutamine and just on its own, they lived around three times as long as the, you know, control group, right? So even longer so than eight the days, tw- ten, eight days, 20 days, 30 days. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Or, or you know, 60 days or 24 <laughs> days, something like that. Fucked. 
Well, yeah. Well, but these are mice too, you know, right, so they, right, their, right. their life cycle is a little shorter, but, but then they had the group that was ketogenic, you know, calorie restricted ketogenic and glutamine restricting. None of them died. Wow. And they did imaging. They saw the brain cancer shrink, 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 gone. And then they, eventually they sacrificed the, the animals so that they could look at the brains under, under a microscope. And they found, they just found clumps of dead cells. You know, there's, there's no living cancer cells, you know, it just killed them because you've cut off the, the energy supply to these cells. The cells die. You know, hey, isn't it, it there is that law that like, isn't there some law that like you could, you personally, let's say you got, sorry, I'm sorry, Anthony, for saying this, but <laughs> this is fiction, fiction. Uh, let's say you got this brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And let's also say you were eating 12 Big Macs a day. Isn't there some law in the United States that you could do this on yourself as a study of one, like that you're allowed to take experimental drugs in a there, there's some there's some wiggle room, isn't there, Caleb? Isn't there some like wiggle room where you can? I think there is. I think there there is a law that if you have a terminal illness, yeah, and you want to and you want to take some sort of experimental approach, that you can you can yeah. do that, yeah, um, and. Um, yeah, that's a good question on, on if they could, they could access, uh, Dawn. That's what the, uh, the, the chemical that they used in. in these, oh yeah. They in, got that in aisle seven at Safeway Dawn. It's the bottle. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> green with the lady washing her hands. That's exactly it. Yeah. Don't <laughs> drink that. And, um, uh, but there are, there are other things. There are other things that, that sort of interrupt glutamine and, uh, and its use in metabolism. And so, you know, and, and there's different, you know, people can, can look into that if they want, but you know, I don't, I don't recommend people using things, uh, you know, self-prescribing things. Certainly I should be using these under the direction of a, of a doctor and just try to find one of these doctors that, that do practice, you know, metabolic therapy, if that's what they want. It is, a, it is, you know, really a second line, third line, fourth line, sort of last line approach at the moment in America, but it is being used. And so in, in, um, like Cedar Sinai Medical Center, they do use this, but it's basically people that have failed all the different available uh, treatment options for different cancers. They say, okay, well, you know, there is this thing you could try it, you know, and uh, and the case case studies and case reports that they they put out uh, in a series of these things, you know, uh, uh, you know, twenty patients over the course of you know any x number of years, they they do really well. They do really well. And the only ones in this case series that they published uh, in 2016 showed that everyone who stayed on, on a ketogenic diet survived. And the only ones in that case series at that point, at the time of the publication that had died were the ones that uh, just said, yeah, you know what? I, I can't do this. This doesn't fit with my lifestyle. And they quit and they, they passed away, unfortunately, um, because you're, you're, you're literally feeding this cancer. You're, you're giving it exactly what it wants. And, um, and that's, that's not, that's not in your best interest. So I think you can do that in a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be in a carnivore diet. It's best done in a ketogenic diet. And hopefully if you can target glutamine as well. So, you know, I think, I think you could do that. You could do that in a vegetarian diet. I don't think it'd be the most optimal. I don't think that's the best way you could do it, but you, I think you can do it, but you know, you can also go on a vegan diet that's, that's, that's consists of Oreo cookies and heroin, Right. you know, that's right. vegan, Right. right. And so, you know, it really depends on what we mean by vegan, right? And so if you're limiting carbs and you're limiting sugar, then you're limiting fuel to cancer. 
plain and simple. And so you can, you can do that a lot of ways. A lot of it has to do with fasting as well. A lot of, a lot of, um, you know, Seafried in his human models and animal models, they measure what's called a GKI or glucose to ketone index that, you know, is a ratio of what your blood sugar is and what your ketone levels are in your blood. And they find that the better this is, so the lower your glucose and the higher your ketones, the better people do. And so if you can get your, your GKI under two or as close to one as possible, people do really well. And they seem to be able to, uh, to just continue on and, um, and not, uh, you know, succumb to these, um, to these diseases. And a lot of people are curing them. You know, a lot of, a lot of these cancers that would be more glycolytic, meaning that they would be more reliant on glucose. Well, they can, they can respond very well. You know, I, you know, uh, as a, as a, another example of, um, of a colon cancer, I, I literally just had a guy on my podcast. I haven't published it yet. Uh, he's, he's a French gentleman who lives in South Carolina and he was vegan for 12 years. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, he's in his forties and he gets colon cancer. He's like, how can this possibly be? I haven't eaten red meat in decades, you know, and, and it's only red meat that causes colon cancer. Like, well, no, actually. And so he couldn't eat any plants and he, and he looked into it and he didn't want to do the traditional therapy. He did not do chemo radiation or surgery. And he just said, okay, what am I going to do? He came across seafood. He's like, okay, I'm going to do ketosis. And so he actually, first he did a, a 21 day fast, ate nothing and only drank water for 21 days. After 21 days, his tumor was half the size that it was, you know, that's crazy. Right. And so it's proof of concept at least, at least for his case. Right. And it was enough for him to keep going with this. And so he continued on a ketogenic diet. He found that he could not have anything with fiber because of this, this blockage and obstruction, any bulk would just cause him excruciating pain because the, the tumor was just sort of pressed up against a nerve and it just was intolerable. And so he had to eat the lo most low residue foods, meaning that nothing came through his colon. He absorbed absolutely everything and he didn't need to excrete any waste, which is what a carnivore diet is. If you just eat meat and nothing else, you'll absorb 98% of the meat that you eat, right? So almost nothing's going out. So he sort of defaulted into a carnivore diet and he found that certain meats actually didn't agree with him either. And so he just ate red meat. So he went from being like a raw food vegan, fat and overweight as a, as a you know professional martial artist and instructor who trained, you know, 12 times a week, fat and overweight as a vegan. Now he's um, only eating red meat. And in four months to the day, his colon cancer was gone. He was stage four as well. And wow. so it was wow. just completely gone in four months to wow. the day. And, uh, and he's only, and he was only eating, only eating red meat, you know? So it's more about what you're not eating as much as what, what you are eating, because what you, what you're not eating is, is what's actually fueling the cancer, right? So if you go back and you're eating all that garbage, that's going to fuel the cancer. It's not red meat that fuels the cancer. We know that because we have people just eating red meat and curing this stuff, but you know, it's, it's not the only option, you know? So if you don't want to eat meat, you don't want to eat red meat. You don't have to. It's really about. I just want to be alive. I'm yeah. gonna choose to be alive, path. Yeah. <laughs> hey, is that guy religious? Um, I don't know. I didn't ask. I, I asked because um, uh, you know, when people make these decisions, there's a ton of pressure from the conventional wisdom in their family to take the uh, Western route, right? So that was one mm. of the interesting thing about this guy Chris's story. Like, you know, all everyone who loves you is like, "Are you fucking crazy? Go get the chemo." Mm. 
And this yeah. guy like got like some word from his higher power being like, nah, dude, choose, do your own path, which is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's ballsy. Yeah. It's ballsy. Yeah, but so yeah, many yeah. success stories. Um, uh, Heidi Kroom, uh, normally she asks if the guests are single today. She has a different question for you. She says, what damage, uh, what damage is the mitochondria and can you heal it? Uh, there are a lot of things that damage mitochondria. Um, you know, going back to the, you know, the story I was, I was saying when I, when I was taking cancer biology, uh, we we're looking at all the different carcinogens in plants. Well, those carcinogens, uh, they actually affect the mitochondria. So a lot of these, these different toxins, a lot of different genetic disorders, uh, you know, tie sacks and things like that. Like, the, you know, these things damage the mitochondria or, or cause a dysfunction of the mitochondria. So a lot of things it can, and there are a lot of toxins in plants that cause it. Now that was a whole thing. That was a whole reason why I stopped eating plants in the first place, because my professor, when we were talking about all this, you know, he, he, we were just blown away that how he was saying that, you know, how toxic plants were and how carcinogenic they were. And, you know, I remember thinking in my head, I was like, but, you know, but plants are still good for you though. Right. And he just looked at us and he just said, yeah, I don't eat plant. I don't eat salads. I don't eat vegetables. I don't let my kids eat vegetables. Oh, he plants doesn't let his kids grow. eat vegetables either. No, I was going to no, ask you about like, that about yeah. kids, not kids yeah. either. No, because he, he just said, he's like, plants are trying to kill you. Like, why would you eat them? They don't want to be eaten. You know, it's kill or be killed in the wild for all, all stages of life, including, including plants. Um, so that was the thing, you know, I, I learned that later, uh, that, that a lot of these carcinogens in plants and all these different toxins, they're carcinogenic because they damage the mitochondria and just eating sugar and carbohydrates actually disrupts and deranges the function of your mitochondria. We know sort of in reverse order that people who go on a ketogenic diet for several months actually have much healthier mitochondria and much more mitochondria. And so you can go through, uh, you know, people know about, you know, apoptosis and autophagy and things like that, where your, your body sort of scavenges these older cells that aren't working too well, but they also scavenge the organelles, the little organs inside of the the cells, if you will. And so they, they sort of scrounge those up, clean those up, recycle them, make new ones. And they do that with the mitochondria as well. And so now you have better, newer, more functional mitochondria, and you also have more of them. So people in ketosis for a number of months generally have around four times as many mitochondria and they work four times as well. So this is a huge, huge bonus and boost to your body. And, um, and, it, and, you know, so there's something going on with just being in the wrong metabolic state, having high insulin, having a bunch of sugar and glucose running around causing glycation and so forth that, that are damaging your mitochondria, damaging, at least damaging the functionality of this recycling process and, and the proliferation of your mitochondria as well. So there's a number of things that can damage your mitochondria. Um, but a significant way of improving them is by being on a ketogenic diet, whatever that means to you. Like it doesn't have to be a carnivore diet. I think that is better if you are on a carnivore diet or at least a very, very heavily fatty meat based ketogenic diet. But either way, just getting rid of carbohydrates and sugar and being in a on a ketogenic diet, we know that this, this heals and benefits uh, your mitochondria significantly. Uh, Heidi, um, I don't know how many mitochondria each cell has, but basically, as I recall, like there's a cell and in the middle is a nucleus and there's mitochondria all around. Mm -hmm. And they're basically just 
that they, you know, they just produce energy. And like when they get injured, they die and go away. I don't think you, you don't heal the existing ones you have, but you make new ones and you yeah. want to eat a diet that makes a lot of them and makes a lot of healthy, uh, new ones. H- have you, have you read this book? I, I can't remember like five or I think this is the book like five or 10 years ago. I listened to this audio book. Oh shit. Uh, sorry, Caleb. Uh, it's called the lives of cells by Lewis Thomas. Do you know this book? No, I haven't read that book. If if I highly recommend this book, there's some shit in there about mitochondria, as I recall, that makes them seem like they're aliens. Like, yeah. I don't even think that they have the same DNA as, no, as the don't. rest of your body. No. There's something very, very trippy about these, these cats living in us. But this is a no, really they, cool book, and you realize yeah. how important it is to make a, a very – you want a very hospitable environment for these guys that are living in us. They're a trip. Yeah, they are. Well, it it really is a, a symbiotic relationship. It, it, it is thought that you know hundreds of millions of years ago, maybe, maybe even you know half a billion years ago, um, that certain cells sort of like you know ate another cell. So that's how cells work, right? They're going to eat other cells and things like that. Uh, and this one just ate this one, but this one stayed alive in there and and actually helped you know the workings of 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 the cell. And so that became. Uh, you know, eukaryotic cells. So there's a difference between eukaryotic cells and prokaryotic cells. There's just sort of the different sort of a- more ancient kind of cells and the more modern kinds of cells that can produce, you know, multi-celled organisms with all a bunch of different functioning uh, tissues. Um, and so that's the thing, you know, mitochondria are thought to be a completely different form of life early on. And then they sort of came in, their DNA is different. You know, it's passed down, you know, from the maternal line, you get your mitochondria from your mom, but you get half of the mitochondrial DNA from your dad as well, because the mitochondrial DNA, it only has like 34 genes in the mitochondria itself. There is DNA in the mitochondria, but they actually used to have a lot more DNA and they've actually planted that into the nucleus um, uh, proper. And so there's actually a lot more mitochondrial genes that are in the nucleus. So you actually do get half of those genes from your dad. It's not just, it's not, not only coming from your mom. And um, which I thought was sort of interesting, but yeah, the mitochondria, they, they do a lot more, you know, they, there's, there's a few hundred of them to over a thousand. So if you're in a you know, ketogenic in each cell or, in each cell, each cell. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's hundreds to, to, you know, to over a thousand. And so, and if you, and people that are in you know, on a ketogenic diet are going to have, uh, Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah. So yeah, hundreds of thousands. And, um, and so, well, you don't even know if that's true. So it's, <laughs> we'll, we'll split the difference between you and this yeah. thing. Well, yeah. yeah, I may have misremembered, but that, that was, that was one of my memory. But in any case, they have a lot of these things and you get a lot more when you're, um, uh, when you're in ketosis. And the thing is that they don't just make energy. They, they actually are very mobile. They move around your cells. And so there's this sort of this internal structure in your cells, these just little basically pipes that, that go all over the place and sort of keep this internal structure together, just like your own bones would keep you together. And so these track along those little bones and, and pipe pipelines and they go down. So they, they go down to this area and this organelle and they produce ATP to make this function. They're not just, just dumping out ATP and that's just free floating. It's targeted. And so they're going to certain areas and they, they like in your brain, you know, they're going to, to certain areas and they're releasing ATP so that this will release neurotransmitters at this time and in this way. And so they're actually the workers. You can think of it as like, like workers in a factory. They're going around actually using the different machines in your cell to yeah. get things 
going and get things uh, moving. And, and so they're very, very important. And so if these things are slower and, uh, and not really, you know, doing, you know, their proper job, they're not going to get to where they need to go in time. They're not going to produce as much energy. You know, it's going to be a dollar, you know, a day late and a dollar short. And so that's going to have serious repercussions, especially if that's happening on a larger scale. I mean, look at, you know, you have hundred thousand of these things uh, in a cell instead of 600,000 and the 100,000 you have are, you know, slowly limping along and not producing a bunch, a bunch of energy. And that's going on in all 2 trillion of your neurons in your brain. You know, that, that's, that's, you know, that, that compounds very, very quickly. Um, there's a very interesting book uh, from Professor Chris Palmer, uh, who's a psychiatrist at Harvard. He wrote a book called Brain Energy. And really what it is, it's a masterclass on mitochondria and how it functions and when it, can i read it, it and understand it or do i have to be like you like can like it no just no, no, a, no, it no. Just it's, a, it's written it's written to the layperson. you know it's okay. not a, it's not a technical manual okay and so um you know it's uh it's a master class on on how these mitochondria work and when they stop working what that does and, and he's specifically looking at um you know mental disorders and, and even schizophrenia psychiatric serious psychiatric disorders and he's fi- he's found in his practice at Harvard that he puts people on a ketogenic diet their schizophrenia goes away right i They're so okay. believe it i you, you yeah know? i so believe it yeah and so we dug in tom and, cruise and, and, was right right when he jumped on the couch and went crazy he was right what what did he say at the time that he was loving i i, I just remember he got canceled cuz like he got he told uh he he told, you know 30 20 30 years ago he told Brooke shields like hey get off the psychiatric meds and fucking work on your diet and the oh, world did he? and the world yeah. turned on him. Yeah. That was like yeah. a, didn't something like that happen, Caleb? Like he was like trying to and it's crazy whenever you try to empower people, you get in trouble. Yeah. Well, like like uh Gary Fetke and Tim Noakes. Yeah. You know, they're like, hey, this is how you get better. You don't need a bunch of expensive drugs. Like, well, absolutely not. And Noakes was a carbohydrate addict. He was a world class uh triathlete. Yeah, and he was he was a he was a world world renowned uh, sports physiologist and 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 a sports medicine doctor, and he was one of the main proponents and probably the originator of you know you need carbs to burn carbs and you have to have all these carbs and all these sorts of things. And he says he feels really bad because he's like I've been lying to people for thirty years, right. you know. One, I know shamed her. It's like hey, I'm giving you advice on how to get better, and now you shame someone. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I think, I think of it as, is you're, you're running towards the, uh, you're running towards a cliff and, and it's a really foggy day and you don't see that the cliff is coming. I'm mm-hmm. more than okay. If someone yells at me, Sevon, you fucking idiot, stop running. <laughs> How dare you call me fucking idiot. And then I run off the side of the cliff. Like yeah. I'm perfectly okay. Do whatever it takes to stop me. I, mm-hmm. um, uh, t- Tom, you're going to love the, the response to this, Tom. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Anthony, uh, what do you eat for breakfast? Uh, I, nothing usually. I just, uh, yeah. But Dr. What, Anthony, what do you eat for lunch? Uh, yeah, usually nothing. Uh, D- Dr. Anthony, what do you eat for dinner? Big ass steak. And and uh, and, and then uh, what do you have for dessert, Dr. Anthony? Glory. Uh, do do you um? And then you just drink water, preferably yeah, rainwater. Yeah, well, it, you would, yeah, if you get it. Um, but uh, yeah, just water, yeah, just water and meat. So, so when I'm hungry, I eat, I eat meat. 
then that's it, you know? So, um, if I'm, you take a Tupperware with you to the, when you're doing your residency, do you have a Tupperware with like chopped up pieces of steak and you throw a couple in? I have. Yeah. Like when I'm, when I'm able to, to like actually get to the gym and work out. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) I like that one. That was what I I did. It was just like, yeah. Like, uh, uh, what, what does the caption on that one says? Um, if you look up on it, Scroll up Heap there. of oh, yeah. meat with melted butter. Follow me for more recipe ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Great, recipe. <laughs> Great recipe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I would do that. Like if I was, if I were to be hungry during the day, I would just, I would do exactly what that, that picture shows I, you know, I, I cut up a steak and, uh, or a couple steaks and I would put that into a container and bring it with me and, uh, and just eat it. Like if I'm, if I'm working out a lot, I'll be more hungry. I'll just, I'll have a bigger demand for food and nutrients. So I'll, I'll probably be hungry twice a day. Um, normally, you know, when you're eating high density nutrition, you don't need to eat as much or as often. And so if I eat a big meal at night of fatty meat, like a ribeye, and I eat until I'm full and I eat until I, I naturally comfortably want to stop, then I'm usually not hungry for another 24 hours. So I wake up in the morning. I feel great. I just get up and go. It saves me a lot of time. I don't have to like make breakfast and try to get something to eat before I'm running out the door. Um, you know, during the day, I don't have to stop for lunch, which is very convenient because normally my days are just crazy and I don't have time to stop for lunch. And so, you know, afterwards I can go to the gym and, and work out and I'm not just crashing because I'm just dying of, of hunger. Uh, and then I go home and I eat amazing steak if I'm working out a lot, I, I will, I will want more. And so maybe I'll have to sort of bring a steak with me and sort of eat that during the day when I can. But you know, the, the plus side on that is, is that I, I, you know, I get a lot out of my workouts and when I'm able to feed myself and give my body as much food as it needs, like I, I put on muscle very, very easily. And so I can put on weight, just lean muscle mass very, very easily if I'm able to get enough, enough food. But normally uh, I'm good with just, just eating once a day. Are are you aware that you are on a um, different agenda than other people? I don't know if agenda is the right word, but like smokers, the way uh, we operate, I used to smoke cigarettes. Uh, we move from place to place looking for a place to smoke cigarettes. That's how all of us operate. So, oh, I'm going to drive over to Anthony's house and then we're going to go hit a round of golf while I'm driving over there. I'll have a cigarette. Right. Then he doesn't like me smoking in his car, so then I'll have another cigarette once we get out of the car and we're at the golf course. And and, and coffee drinkers do the same thing. They they plot their day, and carbohydrate addicts do it too, whether they know it or not. Their whole day is plotted around these uh, treats. So since mm-hmm. you don't have those, you're on a different um, – Yeah. You're bouncing off. You, you you react to different things. Like, are you aware of that? Like when you're yeah. with regular people, like, oh, shit, th- these people are summoned by different spirits than me. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I have noticed that. And I really like that. You know, I, I've noticed that so many people are just, you know, really beholden to, you know, just meals and eating all the time. And they yeah. uh, alcohol, to, whatever their thing is, yeah. whatever spirits telling them you must come to me. Come. Yeah. And it's just, you know, so many people are reliant on 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 even surrounding their social activities with with food you know going to breakfast brunch lunch dinner coffee drinks you know snacks dessert all these sorts of things because we're just eating all the time you know we're, we're like well how do we how do we socially interact well i guess we can we can eat a meal together we can do this together so now you you can't you know you can't do anything uh social without incorporating food or drink now i'm right. so happy to be outside of that 
Yeah. You know, I, I, when I'm, when I'm hanging out with people, I just go, we go and do things, right. you know, like I'm, I'm not beholden to that. I don't need to eat four times a day. I don't need to snack and carry something in my bag or, you know, or, or, or a power drink or whatever, because, you know, I just, I just go. And so, um, you know, I have so much more free time. You know, I figure I have several yeah. hours of the day that I'm not thinking about preparing or eating food. And all that, all that time is mine. And so I can be much more productive and just enjoy my day more. And when, you know, I want to go out with someone, I just say, you know, they say, oh, let's go to lunch. Let's go to this. Well, why don't we go on a hike? Why don't we go to the beach? Why don't we go, right. you know, do, do something, you know? And, and so I just, you know, I do things and I do see that. And I, I see how people are so, um, you know, beholden and, and enslaved by, by their hungers and, and desires and not, not, not that they're, you know, horrible drug addicts or anything like that. It's just, that's well, just normal. You, know, you have to eat. Yeah. Anthony, let's go out for a drink. And really what I'm saying is, is like, hey, do you have a drinking addiction like I do? And do you <laughs> want to go take care of it together? I mean, it, it, let's just be frank. I mean, I mean, I, yeah. I, I have friends who when they're around, I'm excited because I know we're going to fucking drink a lot. Like I, just <laughs> I have friends that when I know they're around, we're going to play a lot of Frisbee and I get excited. I just know that. Yeah. I know when I'm yeah. with my boys, I'm going to laugh a lot. So I want to be with my boys. But yeah. but yeah, it's it's a trip. Um, w w what about this and the kids? So, I introduce my kids to everything very early. Like like I would give my kids. Are you okay on time? Am I what? Sorry. Are oh, you okay? okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like so, I would give my kid uh, just a um like before like they were breastfeeding, right? And mm -hmm. I would give them just a uh, while my family was sitting around eating steak, I would just give him a piece of steak and I would let him teeth on it, right? Mm -hmm. And um and, and you know the conventional wisdom was not to let your kid eat honey or peanut butter, but I gave that shit to my kid way early, way way early. And later on, I found because it just didn't make sense to me. Like, what if your kid's allergic? I'm like, no, that, that doesn't make any sense. And later on, I find out the studies show that the more you introduce your kids to peanuts and honey, the less likely they are significantly to have allergies to mm. it later in life. And basically, you know, that's kind of the CrossFit methodology that Greg Glassman said: uh, put an organ uh, organism through stress and it adapts. So I knew, like, hey, I mean, to a point of safety, right? Yeah. What about this thing? If if you, so would you say that? Do you agree that like you shouldn't give you and, and by the way, all the kids that I know whose parents raised them vegan, something's wrong with the kids. Like mm. their hair doesn't look like my hair. Their eyes mm. don't look like your eyes. They don't have this. Something's missing. There's like a dimness or a dustiness or a brittleness to them. Yeah. Um, but but could it go the other way too? like uh, that you only gave your kids meat and that they wouldn't be exposed to enough uh adversity that maybe vegetables offer or honey offers or nuts offer. And then, and then they it would make them weak to it as they're older. Um, well, I mean, we, we don't have any data one way or the other on that. So as far as allergies are concerned, I'm, I'm not too sure, but I do know that we are carnivores and that that's what all the best evidence shows that we and our ancestors have been eating meat and exclusively meat for nearly 3 million years. And, and there's, there's a ton of data on that. And uh, we can go into that if you like, but it, it's very interesting and it's very compelling. And, you know, so if you are going to be, if, if you want to develop properly and develop into the best that you're, you know, that your body can develop into genetically, you, you have to give your body exactly what it's designed to eat and exclude all the things that are going to cause harm because these defense chemicals do cause harm. And so, you know, maybe it's like, oh, okay, well you can build up a defense to something 
well, you can build up a tolerance and a defense to smoking and nicotine and alcohol and cocaine. Right. Is that good for a two-year-old to do that? Well, right. it gives them, a, it builds that up for some reason down the road. I, I don't know. I, I think that it's probably best to just eliminate out toxic elements that do cause harm and only focus on the things that are giving extremely good nutrition. To the vegan side of things, I think that that's quite harmful to kids. Um, there was a, there's a group, I think it's called Sp- uh, I think it's spec or something like that. It's, it's an Italian uh, pediatric uh, pediatrician group. And, uh, and they came out with a, with a position statement on, on vegan and vegetarian diets. And they said, look, I mean, these, these are, these are deplete and deficient in very basic fundamental nutrients. Like you cannot call something a good diet if it doesn't even have basic nutrition for life. And so, so putting a kid on this is, is tantamount to child abuse because you, there are not enough nutrients in there and they're not even getting into the whole plant toxin side of things. It's just, it just doesn't have the requisite nutrients for, for life. And so you have to take supplements and some people don't take supplements. There are a number of, of examples around the world where, uh, vegan parents have been put in jail because their kids have died on a vegan diet. And, um, you know, people are being conned into thinking that a vegan diet is not only acceptable and okay if you don't like the thought of eating animals and you can get an equivalent amount of nutrition, but you, they're saying this better, that this gives a benefit and this is the best thing you can do for your kid. And these people are kill, literally, their kids are dying. I think that's just absolutely just appalling and shameful. And so, you know, you, you cannot get basic nutrition. You have to take supplements to just, just survive, right? If you have to take supplements, then by definition, your diet is deficient. How can a deficient diet be what we evolved on? Mm. That, that makes no sense. So that, that just goes right out the window for me. Um, so you don't take any, you, do you don't, do you don't take any supplements? No. Uh, no, no, no creatine. No, no, there's tons of creatine in, in red meat. There's tons of creatine. In no meat. vitamin C. No, don't need it. No. What if you What if you get sick? Will you just get a, maybe just get some vitamin C and just 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 take some extra if you get sick? Uh, I I really have not gotten sick. Oh, I've gotten yeah. COVID twice. I was sick for a day, and then that was it. During that, I did take um, zinc and vitamin D, um, and I think magnesium a couple times, just because you know a lot of studies said that that was. That was right. good. So I just did that. And I, yeah, I took an aspirin, you know, because of the right. whole clotting side of things. Uh, and that was it. No, I don't. So I don't, I don't take vitamin C or anything like that. And that, that was really the only time I've been sick in years and years and, it, and years. And it was just a day. It was just a day. And then I was sort of tired for a week after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and how long ago was that? Um, I think I got the first one maybe like eight months ago, something like that. And then, and then I got, you know, sort of another, another round of it just uh, like a month ago, something like that. Yeah. About a month ago, something blew through California. Mm. That was crazy. My whole family, not, not me, but my whole family was sick for like, it seemed like two months, like just taking turns getting sick. Oh wow. Yeah. The kids, it doesn't matter to the kids. They just throw up and then go outside and play. Like they, they don't care, but to the adults, it kind of works them. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I felt fine. And especially with the second time around, I was, I was much less knocked back by it. I was just sort of, you know, just feeling a bit, I, I felt like I had a cold really, you know? And yeah, that's um, what it seems like with the kids. They just yeah. get a, a fever. 
Yeah. Um, and and no, none of my family is on, has, well, me and my wife are, you know, as kids, they gave us all sorts of drugs, but none of my kids, none of my kids are, have any injections or any vaccines mm -hmm. and they, they just don't, we don't do that. But, um, it, it is interesting to see how differently they handled it than the rest of the world or because mm -hmm. most of our cohort is, you know, supplemented. And so mm -hmm. it, we, we, you know, we have this study we get to see of our kids versus, the other kids and it's uh it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad we've chosen the uh, path of not taking drugs uh, and another thing uh, you'll find this weird another thing is is like so we don't none of my kids had any sugar added sugar until they were over two years old so for your first birthday okay. and your second birthday you don't get like cake or you don't get ice cream my kids have never drank juice once in their life they've obviously never yeah. had soda there's they're two six-year-olds and an eight We've probably done some things that would make you roll over in your grave, but for the most part, we're probably in the top 1% of 1% of 1%. Like, but now my kids, um, they can't handle sugar, added sugar. Mm. So if at Halloween, they have one or two pieces of candy, they start to feel really, really bad. Mm. And I did have a family come over to my house one time and the lady at, for dessert, she pulled out a bag of Oreo cookies for her kids to feed them at my house. And I go, what are you doing? I go, you know better than this. Why are you feeding your kid Oreo cookies? And she goes, well, I want it's. I'm like inoculating them from sugar because I don't want them like to if they eat no sugar now that when they get older, I swear to God, she told me this when they get older, if they uh, they won't be able to handle the sugar. Right. I'm like, yep. dude, yeah. How well, the fuck does that logic work? How about yeah. you just never give them? How like how about they just not be? It's kind of like the joke you made earlier. Like, should you inoculate your kids from heroin and nicotine? Mm. Like by yeah. introducing it at a young age? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's, that's what I think about anything that, that, uh, can be considered harmful. Like just keep it away. Like, like peanuts you know? and honey. That's it. Yeah. Just, just okay. don't ever. So I was it. laughing at her and you were laughing at me. I'm like, this dumb no, bitch gave her kid sugar. And you're like thinking you had this dumb dickhead gave his kid peanuts and honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, but I mean, the thing is though, you know, we're, we're all, we're all doing the best that we can, you know, right. with, with what we have. And, and, uh, and you have a great disposition around that too. I don't know how you stay so calm. You are, you have a great disposition. I mean, you're in the battle on the front lines when it comes to food. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you do, you do get a lot of pushback. I get a lot of people just losing their mind, you know, just cussing at me. Sorry, you can't be a doctor this time. And it's like, okay, well, you're definitely not a doctor. So I don't really need to, you know, you <laughs> qualify me. And, um, you know, but, uh, people, people can get quite upset. You know, like you were saying, you know, just people just get, lose their mind about just saying, Hey, don't eat carbs. And it's like, how dare you, sir? It makes no sense. You know, they have no problem saying, oh, you shouldn't eat meat. You shouldn't eat red meat and all that sort of stuff. There is no good studies, none that show that red meat's bad for you. In fact, the University of Washington just just published a meta-analysis and literature review looking at all of these so-called studies saying that that red meat was bad and and caused a cause of cancer, something like that. They found that these were these were weak, weak studies. They were lazy science. They were garbage. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of junk science in medicine. Some, so many of the studies are just junk science. They are worthless. And most of those are in the nutritional medicine side of things. And most of those say that meat's bad and vegetables are good. They're junk. They're garbage. They need to be thrown out. And you know, and, and so on this weak, 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 nonsensical evidence, they say, don't ever eat meat, don't ever eat fat, all that sort of things. The thing that we've evolved to eat, the thing that we've been eating for literally millions of years, and yet, you know, cancer and heart disease are on the rise. 
as we're eating less and less and less of this stuff. And yet they're still blaming it on the meat and the fat, something that we've eaten for forever. How can an ancient diet cause a new disease? Makes no yeah. sense. People don't. That's a strong line it. right there. How does the ancient diet cause new disease? That's such a strong line. Yeah, but it, you know, it, it really doesn't make sense. And yet they have these very weak studies. And a lot, a lot of these studies have actually been proven to be fraudulent. You know, the, the saying that cholesterol caused heart disease from the USDA in 1977, that was a position of the, of the USDA, that changed everything. And so everyone's basing all of this stuff on that. Well, the University of California, San Francisco Medical School actually published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, one of the top medical journals in the world in 2016, actual internal memos from the sugar company back in the 50s and 60s, detailing how there was evidence and studies showing that sugar caused heart disease. And they're like, we need to cover this up. And so they're in, in their own words, they detailed how they paid off three Harvard professors to falsify data and publish fraudulent studies to make it appear as if cholesterol caused heart disease when it was really sugar and to exonerate sugar. And one of those professors was named head of the USDA. And he was oh. that guy who authored and published the 1977 declaration saying that cholesterol caused heart disease. It was all con. It was all garbage. And so, you know, you know that now that's a matter of record. This is not up for debate. You know, you have to throw it out. Um, even the Framingham well, study. All the, yeah, the Framingham study. How about like crazy, right? Yeah. So that, that was the thing. I, I I was taught the Framingham study my first year of medical school. It's just like, you know, this 30-year perspective, you know, cohort study. They're looking at all these people, following for decades. And, you know, the American Heart Association, which was tied up with another one of these paid shills of the sugar company, Ansel Keys, who's just a complete monster. I, I just, I, I, everything that guy's ever done, it, it should be thrown out because this, the guy's a known crook. Um, the American Heart Association, um, they misreported the Framingham study. So what I was taught was actually what the, the American Heart Association put forward, which is not what was actually published in the Framingham study. So they said that the Framingham study showed that the more cholesterol, higher your cholesterol levels were, the higher your uh, heart disease rate was and stroke and cardiovascular risk, right? In fact, the Framingham study showed the opposite. So there's especially a in women who are over 65, right? That's the part I remember. Actually, women who were over 65 who had the highest cholesterol lived the longest. Yeah. And, and, and taken and a correlate that, and made it turned it yeah. into a cause and fucked everyone. Yeah. Well, and, right? and that's the thing. So, so, you know, they, they misrepresented it. Yeah. They, they said it was exactly the opposite. Yeah. And because it was the American Heart Association, this made it into textbooks. This was in my textbook yeah. in medical school. Right. You pay, so pay $50,000 that year to learn that. I know, dude, more than that, unfortunately. To push, to push that lie. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, but thankfully, probably one of the most important things that I did learn in medical school, certainly that year, was uh, one of my professors said to us, said, by the time you graduate medical school, everything you learn here will be obsolete. You have to keep learning and keep learning and keep looking at studies and keep educating yourself, you know? And so that's what I've been doing. And, and so, and that thankfully I've been able to sort of see that a lot of these things that we've, we've based you a canceled, lot of, boy, you better watch out, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of these things that, that we learn in medical school, a lot of these things we take for granted, when you look back at the origins of them, they're based on very flimsy evidence if not outright lies or just a guess, you know, the whole thing is like, well, if you, if you eat a lot of meat, if you eat a lot of protein, that's bad for your kidneys. That was a guess. 
You know, they say that when you eat, when you eat uh, a lot of protein, you cleave off the amino, the amino group, the, uh, the nitrogen group from the amino acid, right? And then you turn that into ammonia, then you turn that into urea, and then you excrete urea. So they think of urea as just a waste product. We just need to get rid of this stuff, right? It builds up in your system. You're trying to get rid of it. So if it builds up, that means it's harder on your kidneys. You're putting your kidneys through stress and your kidneys aren't working as, as well. That's actually not true because when we're in times of stress, when we're in times of infection, our urea goes up as well, but our creatinine stays down and creatinine is actually the, the marker of how well your kidneys are functioning. So, you know, if, if your kidney was just not functioning properly and they would both go up, right? But no, one goes up, the other one uh. stays down. And what actually turns out to be the case is that urea is one of your body's strongest antioxidants. And so when you're in a, in a state of stress and infection, you want to increase your urea so that you can help fight off and clean up all, soak up all these free radicals. So it's actually an improvement. You're actually doing better for yourself. But that was the guess was that you're increasing your urea. That will be harder on your kidneys. That will, you know, that will, you know, you don't want to do this if you're in kidney distress, right? Well, when they actually did the studies, they found the opposite. They found that people that had a higher protein diet actually improved their kidney functions, right? So, Crazy. you know, once you, but, you know, so many doctors, that, but that's what the literature says, shows. Right, right. The actual studies show that higher protein diets improve kidney function. And yet, I still know doctors today who still say, no, no, you can't, you can't eat a lot of protein. Like why you, you clearly haven't looked at the literature. It's just hey, things get repeated so many times. They just believe it. Maybe doctors, maybe you're not a doc. Maybe you're, I mean, you're, you're obviously a doctor, but maybe you're mm-hmm. also something else. Like are doctors by nature, the definition of that word doctor, uh, just docents of the medical literature and they are which distinguishes them from scientists who are the maybe the creators of medical literature and and by the way going back for just i want to add this for anyone who thinks that he's not that he's um uh exaggerating or speaking in hyperbole about medical journals you you can go right online and you can find robert smith or other um, as editors or CEOs of the American Journal of uh, Medicine, the New England Journal of Medicine, the Lancet, who have openly come out and say just straight up now, it's a war in the in the journal industry. They, they will just straight up say you have to assume everything in the medical journals, all of them, even the best ones are fake. You have to mm-hmm. start with the assumption that it's a lie and it's fraudulent. That is, that, that's known now. That's not like fucking tinfoil hat shit. Anyone can Google yeah. that and find that now. It's 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 crazy. It, it is, yeah. uh, it's become, it's become nuts. But is it doctors? Like you're clearly like the doctors are like, Hey, prescribe this. And you're going back and looking at the study. But is that really, is that, are doctors supposed to do that? Or have you just kind of gone the extra mile? Do- doctors are supposed to look at the evidence. It's all supposed to they be. They are. They're supposed to vet it. They are. And a lot of them don't. Um, a lot of them read the book and they read the, they read the guidelines. A lot of them will read the the studies as well, but they'll read specific studies in their field, say, um, you know, but they won't necessarily read all of them. There, there are certain ones that when you're going through residency to say, these are the, these are the, you know, the hallmark studies in this field. These are the ones you need to know about, you know, but that, that's, that's curated 
by whoever's you know teaching the program and getting you ready for your board exams, right? So, so the people who write the board exams have a lot of influence in that because you need to know certain things, you know, in order to pass your boards, and so you're going to read certain studies. So you're sort of getting cookie cutter educations, right? Yeah. Hopefully, it teaches you that you need to read studies in general. Um, we are supposed to be, you know, most most medical schools would teach you to to practice evidence based medicine. But a lot of people, unfortunately, think that evidence-based medicine means following the guidelines. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. not what that mean. The I guidelines mean, you have to in California by law. There's some rules on you in California now that if you go against the guidelines mm-hmm. for COVID, you're fucked. Yeah, well, that's, that's here too. Yeah. That's scary, right? Yeah. And, you're not allowed um, to read. You're not, it's basically, you're not, yeah, allowed, you're not allowed to make to, your own assessment. No. Which is bad. I mean, that, 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 that goes against everything that is medicine, you know, like you need to be able to have autonomy in your practice. And, you know, because who, who are these people saying, you know, maybe they're right, maybe they're not, but you know, maybe they're not. Right. And so the guidelines are written by bureaucrats. They're not, they're, and, and, and politicians, they're not, they're not written by scientists. So, so we have like, we were bought for by pharma, by the way. And I don't mean that like, as in some conspiracy or some bad thing, they, it's the same way that like I buy my kids, like I pay for my kids tennis lesson and they do it. Pharma gives the bureaucrats money to run for office and they do their, their bidding. I'm not even saying it like it's like some nefarious shit, but. Well, no, I mean, it's it's not even, it's not even, you know, unknown. It's, I mean, it's not a conspiracy. I mean, mean, you can, you can follow the, you know, the, the, the donors uh, records and things like that. They're all public record. How about 60 minutes? Did you see that thing? Leslie Stahl. Did you see this thing that came out last week? No, no, I don't think so. So they did a a a, a story on a, a on a on a um a drug. I think it's called Wegovy, W E G O V Y, and they're basically saying they they when they they say hey these doctors we're interviewing work for Wegovy, and the largest sponsor of this show is the pharmaceutical company that makes Wegovy, and what we're yeah. telling you is is that twelve year olds who are fat should get on this med, and if this med doesn't work by the time they're thirteen, they should go under the knife. It's fucking 60 minutes. I don't know if That's you remember crazy. as a kid, that was like like our parents like God. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, that was like, yeah, the most, the just, most uh, respected, yeah. you know, it's like very high uh, integrity sort of. Uh, They're just sort of open show. about it. They don't even, they like, by the way, these scientists work for the drug company and the drug company sponsors the show. Okay, let's proceed. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. They, they were just open about it. They're saying the quiet part out loud, you know? Yes. And it, yeah. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess they think maybe if they're open about it, then, then people won't suspect that they're, you know, bought and paid for, you know, even though they're telling you, Hey, I'm bought and paid for, Oh, that must mean they're sincere and that this is coming from the heart. You know? Um, what about cooking meat? How much should, should, are people overcooking meat? I noticed your meat was pretty red. I, um, I, I just like the taste of, of more rare meat. Um, I like a bit of a sear on the outside, but I like it pretty raw in the inside. And that's just, you know, again, my tastes have just sort of refined and changed. And so I, I just like that taste a bit more. Um, I think, you know, you do lose some nutrients when you cook meat. That's true. Um, but you also make some more bioavailable. You, you make the proteins uh, more bioavailable as well. And so you get a bit of a trade-off. Um I think that, 
you know, the jury's a, a, bit, a bit out on what you have to do. There's certainly people that, that cook meat, you know, well done and have been doing a carnivore diet for years and years and years and do just fine. Um, I, you know, slow cook meat all the time or do like a smoker for like ribs and brisket. That's going to be very, very well done. And that's fine too. Um, the way I think about it is humans have been cooking meat. There's evidence in the fossil record that we've been cooking meat for at least 800,000 years. Wow. That's half a million years before you know, homo sapiens existed. Right. So we've been cooking meat for a long, long time. And there's, there's other evidence and suggestions that people suggest that actually we've been cooking meat for 1.5 million years and maybe even had longer than that, like 2 million years. Because when the ice sheets came down, when the ice ages started about 2 million years ago, humans didn't run away down towards the equator. They went up into it, right? Hard to do if you don't have fire. You know, so that, that's the argument that some uh, paleontologists make is that um, like Dr. Bill Schindler, you know, he, he made that, that argument. He said like, you know, they, they, they aggressively went into, you know, the ice sheets, you know, that's, that's difficult to do if you don't have a, you know, a, a reliable source of heat. And so he thinks that we probably, probably had fire long before that, but we can reliably say that we had fire for at least 800,000 years. In fact, there's um, evidence that we had extremely evenly cooked meat as well, meaning that we might've had like, you know, a, 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 some sort of rudimentary oven sort of ability 750,000 years ago, you know, so we've been cooking meat for a very, very, very long time. So, you know, whatever happens, whatever sort of nutrients that we lose or gain by cooking meat, I think that are, that we've, you know, we've long adapted to that. I think that that's probably okay. You know, cats are not the same. There are studies with, um, uh, Dr. Pottinger back in like the thirties and forties, he looked at cats and they just did not do as well on cooked meat versus raw meat. It's still meat, but it's the cooked meat. They, they were not doing nearly as well. And then each generation, it got subsequently worse. They had lower bone mineral density. And after three generations, like their, their heads were deformed, their brains weren't wow. developed properly and, and their bodies were smaller, getting all these broken bones and things because their bones were so soft and and then they stopped being able to breed at all. They couldn't have any any. They couldn't have a fourth generation. And the you know raw meat cats were just you know thriving the whole way through. And then they found that if you started feeding the third generation uh, of the cooked meat cats raw meat, you could get them a little better, and you could get them uh, you know producing uh, offspring again. But they didn't just go all of a sudden develop into, you know, what, what the raw meat cats were doing the whole time. It took four generations before they could could get back to where the raw meat cats were the whole time. So there's this, this huge epigenetic effect that actually go, that actually lasts generations to eating the wrong thing. So, you know, it's it's something that, you know, if we were that sensitive to it, you know, you, you should sort of notice it. But I don't I don't think I don't think that we are. Um but, you know what would be interesting is to know. to do a study where you give someone a pound of raw meat, and it, I, I fuck who am I to make up the study? But some study that showed the difference in, in defecation between people who eat raw meat and people who eat cooked meat. Mm. Well, like how much how much yeah it goes out? Yeah, like do, like yeah. Do people who eat absorb? raw meat poop less. Yeah, it would yeah. be my hypothesis because they absorb more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I when I did yeah. the carnivore, and I still I I, I wouldn't. But, 
by far not strict about it now, but now after talking to you, I'm, I think you're going to jumpstart me again. But I couldn't believe it was all unicorn poops for just months. Like just toilet, yeah. like it became unnecessary to use toilet paper. And yeah. I became so regular. Everything yeah. got better in my life. Just everything. Yeah. I did start getting a little cold in my fingertips and my feet. And that's why I started moving away from it. That's actually how I came across Paul Saladino. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what about women in carnivore? Yeah, it, it optimizes uh, their health too. I mean, it just, you know, humans are, are um, you know, we're all one species. So, so males and females, you know, and so like the female of uh, any species are going to eat the same as the male species. Adults just eat the same food, you know, mammals, mammalian children will, will drink, you know, milk, but once they are weaned from milk, they eat, they eat the exact same thing as every other adult, you know? And so, you know, males and females, they might have a different amount that they eat. And, uh, you know, because men are going to might, or usually bigger, not always. Um, so, but that, but that's it, you know, like female lions and male lions, they eat the same thing. And so, um, you know, we're, we are one species and that, that's another argument that people make. Well, well different people are, have op, different optimal diets and things like that. That's, that cannot be the case. If you're saying really? that, that, no, that no. can't really no. think about it this way. Think, see if you can think of any examples in nature where two members of the same species have different optimal diets. So Venus fly traps everywhere. They just like flies. They just eat flies. Yeah. That's what they do. They just eat. Yeah, and, well, that's it. You know, the, and, cat, and cats everywhere. The all the different cats, the panthers, and all like you never see like there's no like some weird panther somewhere that just eats fruit. No, they all no. they all just. But but the thing is, though, is you might you. First of all, I, I can't think of any feline that's not an obligate carnivore, but you could have maybe a feline that sort of a different. So there's different primates that have different different diets, right? So a gorilla is very very you know clearly herbivorous, right? chimpanzee is what's like, that mean they eat plants and animals no no just, just herbivorous so just 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 uh None. Herbivorous. okay yeah, so like just the, the only plants, protein right? they get is they accidentally eat an insect other than that they just eat plants yeah. well okay. but the, but that's the but that's the interesting thing is that herbivores actually get the majority of the nutrients that they absorb is still fat and protein because they're eating a bunch of plant material but that's not what they're absorbing you know because they can't absorb it no vertebrate animal can break down fiber so what they're actually oh, wow. doing wow. is they're actually feeding the gut bacteria, right? So yeah. it's the bacteria in their gut that eats the fiber. And so that's what it subsists on. And then they have waste product is short chain fatty acids, which are actually hundred percent saturated. And so even gorillas that just eat green leaves, they get 70% of their calories from saturated fat because that's the waste product of these bacteria. But then the bacteria die off and the animal breaks those down and absorbs those for protein. So even a gorilla that just eats those leaves, they're still Wait getting 70, 30 fat to protein. Wait a second. This is fucking crazy I've, that I've never heard this before. You're <laughs> telling me that like when I eat food, my body uses that food to make energy. Mm -hmm. You're telling me that there's a creature living inside of the stomach of gorillas that yeah. eats the food they eat and that this creature shits what it shits out is actually what that feeds the gorilla. That's it. Holy all herbivores. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. So all, you all know herbivores. That, Caleb? No. Hey, no, so, so wow. I had no yeah. fucking idea. That's fucking brilliant. Yeah. You're feeding the, this creature inside you, this bacteria, it eats the food that, that you ate 
and then it takes a deuce in you and that's your nutrients. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is fucking brilliant. Talk about a homeboy. Yeah. Um, so, so, so the, so, um, I had a guy on the other day had the most insane body, this, uh, 53 year old jujitsu practitioner and he's yeah. vegan, but, um, he, uh, um, he eats for based on like to maintain his gut biome. And my, I was telling my wife I was having you on, and she said, ask him about that. She's like, because that's the whole thing with why – that's why the plant people are so big on plants because they said you need the plants to, to for, back, for the bacteria. I mean if you're a gorilla. You're just like, yeah. yo, just tell my wife she's full of shit. No, <laughs> the thing is, is, is that our understanding of the gut biome is, uh-huh. is uh, very poor uh, at the moment. Um, it's getting better, but – you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not even, you know, it's not even, well, certainly not proven that, you know, having a certain gut biome changes your health, right? Okay. It could very well be that the things that you're eating affect your health and just happen to bring about a certain gut biome. Um, people on a carnivore diet, and there have been studies done, show that they have very diverse microbiome. And like all the ones they say, well, these, these gut microbes and things like that, you know, having more of these are better people that eat a high meat diet and, and a carnivore diet have, have more of them. People who eat more carbohydrates and fiber, they feed certain gut microbes that are more associated with, um, autoimmune diseases and, and, uh, multiple sclerosis and things like that. Um, also feeding like SIBO, so small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth. There are actually a study that uh, studies that have been published uh, just this past year that actually show that people going on specifically a carnivore diet can cure uh, SIBO uh, just just through dietary measures. Um, the argument that some people make for fiber is they say, well, you have to eat fiber because you have to feed these certain microbes, um, actually very similar microbes to the ones in a gorilla's gut uh, or a cow's rumen, um, and they make uh, butyrate, right? So this is this is these are those little fatty acids that um, you know that these these bacteria will, will crap out. Um, and people say it's like, well, that's what your enterocytes need. They need this butyrate that that's what fuels your gut. Well, first of all, if you don't eat any fiber, your 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 intestinal lining doesn't just shed off and die, and you don't just die of of an, of, a, of a necrotic bowel. Right. Because I, I haven't, I haven't had fiber in, in a decade. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. where's that? Yeah. Um, and so, but the thing is, is, you know, it makes butyrate. Uh, well, yeah, well, we know that, you know, you're eating as a sort of fiber that there's certain bacteria that can break that down. Uh, but it's not like enough to like fuel you. It's not enough to, to really do anything for you. Um, and what, what people forget to realize is that one of the main ketone bodies is, is butyric acid. Right. And so when you're in ketosis, you make, tons and tons and tons of butyrate, right? So you will already feed your, 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 uh, your gut lining, your enterocytes. Also butter, butter gets its name from the high quantity of butyrate in it, right? So, you know, you're not going to starve your intestinal lining by not eating, uh, uh, fiber, you know, in, in fact, quite the opposite. Um, we used to have, and so this is, this is, um, did you look at that, that comparative anatomy, right? So animal, well, different primates, right? So there are a bunch of different primates. Some primates are omnivores that eat sort of, you know, mix like a, like a chimpanzee. Chimpanzees eat other chimpanzees and monkeys. They hunt and they kill That's and they cool. eat. That's not yeah. cool. 
That's it's not, not cool. It's pretty, it's pretty gnarly too, because they, they'll like eat them alive. I've seen videos of this. They, it is not okay. And Jane Goodall actually saw all this as well. When this started coming out in the last sort of decade or so, they're like, wow, these, these things are just wild. And then she's just like, oh yeah. Oh, I saw all of that. But she was just like, if I came back and reported that all of my work would have been thrown out, they wouldn't have believed me. And so, um, because it was, it was too, it was too fro- far past what people thought about chimpanzees. So apparently she like actually documented all of that behavior, but just didn't say anything about it because she, she didn't think people were ready for it. Um, but yeah, so they, they're just, yeah, they, 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 they hunt and they eat meat. Um, and then there are, um, you know, other, other primates, like the oldest examples, the old, oldest living primates are, are, you know, just pure carnivores as well. So, so there is a mix. And so, you know, going back to what I was saying before, you can have different, you know, uh, uh, primates that have, you know, a different optimal diet, but you're not going to find two gorillas that have different optimal diets. You're not going to find two zebras that have a different optimal diet or two lions. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, just the comparative anatomy side of things, look at gorillas, look at chimpanzees. They're what's called hind gut digesters. So like a rumen, ruminant animals, more foregut digesters. They have these you know, multiple stomachs and all these different sorts of things. And, and so they digest food in different areas, but primates are, are hind gut digesters and, you know, like uh, koalas are hind gut digesters as well. So they have a blind pouch. It's very long cecum. It's like this four foot long cecum. And it's just sort of a blind out pouching of the gut and it just sort of sits there. And that's where all this fiber will pack in. It just stuffs in there and it just sits there slowly breaking down. Well, that's, in us, that's our appendix, just like oh. a little little finger-sized uh, organ, right? Because it's vestigial. It's lost that ability, right? Because millions and millions and millions you believe, of years Wait, ago, you, do you really believe that they're in vestigial shit? Well, so the thing is, is that is that I, I'm not know, judging you, by the way. I just I heard that term recently, and I'm like, there's no fucking way there's anything in me that's vestigial. Fuck you. So, I need it so, all. <laughs> so the thing is, it, it can absolutely have a use. What, what I mean right. that vestigial is, is the functionality of breaking down fiber. Okay. 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 Right. Okay. Yeah. No, no. So, you, your body is very efficient. You're, you're not going to, you're not going to spend energy maintaining an organ or a system that, you know, doesn't, doesn't need to be there. Right. Uh, Brandon Waddell. I don't call my finger sized organ, my appendix. I know. Do, let's give <laughs> Dr. Anthony some grace. He's a, he's in Australia. They're different there. <laughs> Um, so, so the major function of this cecum, which is really what it is, uh, was, was to break down fiber. So we've lost that ability, right? Okay. So it, it okay. May, it may have, may have other, other sorts of abilities. Well, well that, that explains if I need to take a deuce, I can literally just eat. I can just go to the store, get a clamshell of anything, arugula, spin, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I can take handfuls of it and, and, and make it into ball and eat it. And in, in my in the in the 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 store that sells them is two miles from my house. By the time I get home, I I I, I have to run to the bathroom and I just take a, one beautiful salt. Like it just plunges me, yeah. which makes sense because I have no ability to process it. Right? You have no ability to process it. You cannot break it down. Yeah, um, and it's causing irritation. Your body's trying to get it out. You know. Well, not me. I'm Armenian. I, nothing irritates me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I can eat. I'm like a human tr- trash compactor. Yeah, but 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 that's the thing. You're, you're exactly right. You know, we we cannot break down fiber. We cannot yeah. use it nutritionally, and that was actually the argument for why we should eat it back in the '80s. They said, "Hey, you want to lose shit, weight?" My mom used to tell me or tells me. Yeah, well, that's it. There, there was the celery diet back in the '80s. They said you you know, you 
you burn more calories just moving this celery through your body than you're going to get from the celery. So that was the argument for eating uh, vegetables back in the 80s was that you don't get any nutrition from them. So you can just eat a lot of them. It's it, it's just free food. It's free it's free food because it doesn't have any calories. It doesn't have any nutrition. And so you yeah. won't get fat, right? And it'll make you feel like you're full because it has all this bulk in it because of the fiber. But you can't break it down. You can't use it and you don't get any calories from it. Isn't that great? I was like, okay, well, why don't you just eat a pl- plastic bag? Right. You know? but, and now we know thing. that plants are poisoning you. Well, that's it, you know, I mean, like, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't just eat something unless it provides you benefit. You shouldn't eat something because it doesn't provide you benefit. That makes no sense. You know, most animals in the wild are are struggling to get enough to eat, you know, as opposed to just eating dirt. So it just fills them up. So, oh my God, it's throwing them fat. (laughs) That's crazy, you know? And so, you know, but, but people got worse, you know, the, the obesity rate tripled since that, those uh, recommendations came out, you know, because it, it actually doesn't make you lose weight. It actually makes you gain weight. It makes you put on inflammation. It makes you, uh, uh, you know, damages your body in multiple different ways. So we have all of these different autoimmune diseases and chronic diseases that have all come about and all increased exponentially since we started eating less red meat and less fat and eating more fruits and vegetables, and of course, a lot more carbs and a lot more sugar. This is all very, very damaging to our bodies. And we're told that it's a health food. We're told that you know, eating a bunch of fiber and eating all this sort of stuff, that, that's really good for you and you'll lose a bunch of weight. No one loses weight. Right. They don't lose weight. They feel right. like garbage. Right. Their health goes to, goes to shit. And, you know, and then they, you know, and, and they don't actually lose weight. There are people struggling with their weight for decades, you know. And, uh, and they're, and they're doing all the things that they, that they're supposed to do. I was talking to, um, Dr. Sarah Zaldivar. She is a, she has a PhD in nutrition and, you know, she was having health issues and she was having difficulty losing weight and she has a PhD in nutrition. And she was like, yeah. I'm, I was doing everything exactly the way it was supposed to straight by the book is like, I'm a PhD. I should know exactly how to do this. And she was just getting worse and worse and worse. And eventually she was just like, okay, this has to be wrong. You know, and so she started looking into it. Now she's, you know, a big proponent of a carnivore diet and, you know, reverse all of her health issues, you know, trimmed up is in, you know, uh, very good shape now. And so, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is what um, the physicist Richard Feynman said, said it doesn't matter how brilliant your theory is and it doesn't matter how smart you are. If it doesn't agree with experiment, it's wrong. Mm. Right. So it doesn't matter what all the textbooks say. It doesn't matter whatever, you know, you mean consensus nonsense. isn't always right. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, it's almost as if, you know, uh, you know, reality, you know, wasn't, wasn't, uh, you know, uh, begotten by vote, you know, by popular demand, you know, things, there are just certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. And just because there's a study that says something's right or wrong does not actually make it true. It just means that that's a piece of evidence that you can look at, but then you put it into practice and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's wrong. Just throw it out. It's wrong, you know? And so, and that's exactly what these, these things um, have shown themselves to be is wrong. You know, they said fat and cholesterol are bad for you. Well, we know that that was fraudulent. And even if we didn't know that was fraudulent, we know that the experiment run on the American people and people around the world, hundreds of millions of people, now billions of people around the world show that it gave the exact opposite results, right? We reduced red meat and cholesterol by 30%. We increased fruits and vegetables by 30 and 40% respectively, increased grains and, and sugars even more than that, you know? What were the results? I thought you were talking about a different experiment that was just run on billions of people. Well, you know, that's the thing. We have a lot of experiments run on us. 
And you you have to look at the evidence and you have to, and you have to protect yourself and make your own decisions. This is why it's so important for people to be able to make their own decisions because, you know, for the previous experiment, when they, they said everyone, you know, change how you eat, you know, we, we did exactly what they said we should do and heart disease rates tripled, right? So how can you say that cholesterol causes heart disease when you reduce cholesterol and heart disease rates increase, right? If anything, you can say that that's protective. And in fact, we have, we have studies now in the last decade with hundreds of thousands of people showing that it is protective. You know, the Journal of the American College of Cardiology actually published in 2020 a, a large meta-analysis looking at all the data to do with saturated fat and found that, you know what, actually it has no relationship between, there's no relationship between uh, saturated fat, no negative relationship between saturated fat and heart disease. In fact, they found an inverse relationship between saturated fat and stroke. So people who ate less saturated fat, higher rates of stroke, more saturated fat, lower rates of stroke, right? And then there were studies looking at LDL cholesterol and again, found no negative association with LDL cholesterol and uh, heart disease. In fact, they found an inverse relationship. So people had a higher LDL cholesterol, had less heart attacks and vice versa. Okay. And this was another large meta-analysis you know, published in major, major journals. So, and there's so much more, there's so, so much more. I did, I did a, I did a debate with, um, sort of five other cardiologists. I was the only non-cardiologist on the board. And, um, there were three of us that were arguing that we got cholesterol completely wrong and we were correct. And then there were other people that were sort of the traditional mindset. And, uh, and, you know, so I, I just made my case and I, and I made a, um, um, I made a, uh, a video after that, just, just called, um, the facts about cholesterol and heart disease. And, you know, just went through all these studies and all the history and everything like that. And so, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very, very robust now that, you know, well, first of all, we know that cholesterol never was a cause of heart disease. That's just a historical fact, but now we have studies showing that it's actually protective. It's actually, actually good for you. Every single cell in your body is made out of cholesterol. Eighth grade biology, I saw that in a textbook. And I remember all the, the membranes, cell membranes of our body are all made out of cholesterol. I remember thinking, I was like, how can cholesterol be bad for you? We are cholesterol. How can it be bad for us? We're literally made out of cholesterol. Our brains are made out of cholesterol. The myelination around your axons are cholesterol. You don't get enough of this stuff. Your brain atrophies and it doesn't, and it can't propagate signals as fast. You get dementia. You get, you get, you know, age-related, uh, degeneration of your brain. Um, so every single one of your, your hormones, well, most of them are made out of cholesterol as well. You know, there's about 27 intermediary, intermediary, uh, hormones between cholesterol and testosterone. Every single one of those is, is its own unique individual hormone that has its own purposes in your body. Every single one is derived from cholesterol. Cortisol is derived from cholesterol, estrogen, progestogens, mineralocorticoids, glucocorticoids, everything made in your adrenals above your kidneys. All of these things are all made from cholesterol. How is cholesterol this toxic substance? That makes no damn sense. You know, we, we are so reliant on cholesterol. It is such an important molecule. And to, to vilify it and say that it was bad for us when we've been eating fat and, uh, and cholesterol for millions of years makes absolutely no sense, especially when heart disease just did not exist. We didn't even, we didn't even know about it. We didn't track it, you know, before the midnight, uh, mid 1900s it makes no damn sense. 
Oh, can, can I uh, off talk? Are, are, are you having fun on the show? Yeah. Is this a good show? Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was good. All right. All right. Well, then we're done. Um, Hey, I, uh, I, I got, I hope that there was some value to being here. Like I, I gotta have you back on. I, I feel like the guy who's like already begging for, like, I can't even play cool. I can't be like, Hey, we went on a date. I'm not going <laughs> to call her for a day. I already want so much more of you. I'm watching the questions just pour in and we just can't get to all of them because my bladder is going to explode. And I've had you for two hours and 34 minutes. Listen, my, this is my takeaway from this uh, uh, podcast. Uh, I, I know, I know most of you are uh, believe in uh, really hardcore accountability, personal responsibility, taking control of your life. Uh, go check out this guy's stuff. Uh, uh, watch a couple of his videos. Um, while you're on the assault bike with your headphones on, break that sweat. And if you, I think you would be uh, making a huge mistake if at some point in your life you didn't at least use um, the diet that he um, that he prescribes to himself to do a reset on your on your whole entire being. So they have these diets that are called elimination diets. I recommend doing that. Do an elimination diet and make this. Um, and, and use uh, uh, Dr. Anthony uh, Chafee's diet as your foundation. It's just one item you're going to eat. It's just meat and water. It's a good place to start. See how you react. Uh, you know, set a goal for yourself 30 to 60 days and begin from there and treat yourself like a lab rat and see how it feels. Um, you know, and, for, and, I, and I also know this, that most of the listeners are big proponents that the way to make life better is to get rid of shit. You don't buy another Harley. You get rid of the one you have. We all know that the more shit you get rid of, the freer you are and the better you are. And so I think this is just a, an, an awesome place to start. And uh, I, will, um, uh, I will definitely try my best uh, in, in the next couple months to get Dr. Anthony back on. I know people have tons of questions. Everyone wants to know about eggs and, you know eating semen and all the weird fucking questions you guys <laughs> ask and how does he really live without caffeine and i i know i know i know all the shit you guys want to say don't uh okay uh, you guys want to know if a diabetic can start all that um i appreciate no, really- you oh you broke up see look at i talked about getting you off and you're gone Dang he froze it. is he frozen for you he's frozen he froze it's a good shot of him though yeah, it's a, it's the Australian government just shutting them down. I don't know if you can hear us, Doctor Anthony, but uh, you froze. Oh, what were you going to say? Can, you froze. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. yeah am, am I back to you guys? I can hear yeah. you anyway. Yeah, yeah, you're back to us. Yeah, I, I was just saying when you said the diabetes things. Yeah, the people with diabetes can absolutely do it. Diabetes just goes away uh, when you go on a carnivore diet, or even just a ketogenic diet. You know that that's. I, we we actually been able to push that and and people like Gary Fetke and others have actually gotten that into the guidelines for the Australian diabetes um, uh, wow. approach to treatment. Yeah, Good so now that it. now that's mainstream. So now now everyone can absolutely prescribe this to their patients because it's in the it's in the um, uh, the mainstream diabetes guidelines. So uh, and carnivore is the ultimate ketogenic diet. Um, you know, if you're not obviously eating uh, fruit and honey and, and carbs and things like that, you know, if you're doing meat-based ketogenic diet, um, ketovore, I guess you could call it, um, that is really, really, really strong. I was just, uh, I was just in Costa Rica. We actually just filmed a, a um, docu series called Reversed. It's like the third season, and uh, and it's all about reversing diseases with a carnivore diet. And uh, a major one is diabetes. You know, we had a lady who. That's a cool uh, show. The, what's the name of that show? It's called Reversed. Reversed. Yeah. And cool. um, when does that yeah. publish? That's published already. That's. Um, no, so we just finished filming it. And oh. um, so it'll be sort of out in the next sort of five, six months. 
And um, but there's two other seasons, so they, do, they did. Do you have a with- mailing list? I want to be on your mailing list. Like, are you going to send out a mail being like, "Hey, reversed is coming out," or do you have a mailing list? I, I don't. I should probably set one up. I've yeah. uh, you know, I've only really sort of gotten into the whole social media um, podcast sort of thing just in the past year, and so I'm still sort okay. of figuring it out. But all right, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a third season. So there are two other seasons uh, that they use a ketogenic diet uh, approach. Now they're doing going full on carnivore, and um, and you know, one lady, you know, people know about you know diabetes. Her HbA1c, which is a marker of basically how high your blood sugar is for the last three months, uh, was 13, which is massive. You know, it's supposed to be around like 5.5. It's really you know under six anyway. Uh, is is optimal. Hers was 13, so it's massive. Okay, so high blood sugar is what kills diabetics. These these blood sh- these sugar molecules physically fuse to other molecules. It's called glycation. So it's a non non enzymatic fusion between these sugar molecules and your other molecules, and they damage them and, and disrupt them. Um, so it basically kills you from the inside. And so this is why your insulin goes up. This is a protective measure. That's not a normal thing. Your body's just trying to protect you from this high blood sugar, try to get this down. And then high insulin disrupts your metabolism in a lot of different ways. You can cause a lot of different problems and disease pathways from there. Um, so she was able to get her HbA1c down from 13 down to 5.1 with a carnivore diet in like you know a couple months, you know, which is just unheard of. You know, type two diabetes is is taught to be a progressive illness. It is a chronic disease. It's a progressive disease. It only gets worse. You mitigate it with diet, lifestyle, and medication, but it only gets worse. That is what is taught, and yet. You reverse it in two months. Yeah. There are people that are on insulin that can come off insulin, you know, in a matter of months. Not everyone, but there are people that can do it. And right. so, but everyone will improve dramatically. Uh, Aaron C., uh, I will give you the final state. I respect the benefits of only meat and I understand it, but fruit is nature's gift. And uh, Aaron, mm-hmm. I understand uh, also uh, monogamy, but uh, your sister and your best friend are the um, nature's fruits. So uh, thank you <laughs> for that. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Dr. Anthony, you demand. Um, no. And uh, I, I hope we run into each other again. Yeah, absolutely.